A word to the wise, we are an explicit podcast tackling choicey adult themes as well as entering spoiler territory if you aren't caught up with us. Uh, that would be the end of the third book. We are on our graduation episode of book three, um, finishing out Morningstar by Pierce Brown. there this is cross and i'm pj and we are words and whiskey a podcast for veteran and novice readers alike we tackle fiction novels and love to talk about what we're drinking think of us as your drunk weekly book club and today we had a third so uh we're changing up the format a little bit and actually looking at each other which is different and interesting and i'm liking it so far yeah. So today we'll be doing our wrap up episode on Morningstar. Today, as PJ said, we've got a special guest joining us. He's an incredible photographer shooting for companies such as Red Bull and many others, as well as one of my earliest friends from all the way back in kindergarten. Please welcome to the show, everyone, Kyle Lieberman. Yay. Hey, guys. Woo. <laughs> so, wait, you guys weren't doing video before this? That sounds crazy. No, no, no so, not like, at all. I'm so happy to see your guys' faces. This would have been yeah. terrible uh, without uh, like seeing you guys. Um, yeah. So especially because, you know, with the state of the world right now, I haven't gotten to see any, a lot of people's faces. So it's so nice to like, actually see yours, too. Like that makes us wonderful. So heartwarming, Kyle. Uh, I know. Um, <laughs> so I am Kyle Lieberman. I'm from St. Cloud, Minnesota, just like these two wonderful fellows here. Went to elementary, middle and high school all together. I kind of went off, did my own thing. I'm out in Brooklyn, New York now. Um, as Cross said, I am a photographer. Uh, I opened up a studio out here. I got a cute little puppy, great girlfriend, and a nice place. Uh, I love my place, love what I do, and I couldn't be any more excited to like be here with you guys. This is so fun. This is a fun reunion all together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, it's really it cool. I, I think that one of the one of the interesting things, you know, of course, we'll talk about how you got into the book series. Uh, spoiler, I dragged you <laughs> both into it Forced. at this point. Um, yeah, but uh, you're you're obviously an avid reader compared yeah. to PJ. <laughs> you're probably you actually read way more than even I do. I think you're, you're voracious. What are some of your favorites? Oh, man, putting me on the spot. I mean, Vaughn, I was going to say that's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah, I've read almost every single Vonnegut. I got a signed Vonnegut, first editions of Vonnegut. I actually like collect them as well. No, I mean, a lot of like terribly horrible dystopian, like, you know, um, <laughs> Chuck Palahniuk, like any like kind of weird demented shit I really love. And honestly, everything that I love is in the Red Rising series. And for some reason, I don't know why, but I just wouldn't read it until Cross literally had to buy me the entire <laughs> all six books, every all six of them. He had to order well, five, them sh- but yeah, or five. Sorry, five yeah, at the time. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, five at the time. Yep. Um, shipped them to my house and forced me literally to read them because <laughs> and it was the greatest thing in the world. It was a birthday it, gift. I mean, it, it was okay, fine. Okay, fine. All right, you got. Uh, that's a good excuse. <laughs> Under the a, guise of a birthday gift, it was a gift. It was a gift. Okay, but um, <laughs> yeah. in the end, I mean, I know you just. I know it's probably boiling your blood to like keep telling me to read these books and knowing fully well that like I was going to fall in love and me just being like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I actually, I downloaded an audiobook version of it, but it, I, I thought I downloaded an audio, but for some reason it's actually like a digital version. So I like looked at it and I was like, wait, this is an audiobook. This is a digital version. I want nothing to do with this. <laughs> and so like I did try. I really did. Like I, I put the mm-hmm. effort in right away and it just wasn't enough. So, no, I am so thankful, though, that you forced me into it because 
I do read quite a bit. I love reading. I love fiction. I love nonfiction. And this series was just like, it blew me away. I'm so happy. Yeah, it's wild. It's it's especially wild. PJ has now completed the exact same amount of the books that you have, which is another interesting Ooh. point that we get to talk about. PJ hasn't read further than you. You haven't read further than the third book. So yep. part of the reason that I wanted you on, uh, A, because of like the timeline in which you read it. B, I think you've got great insights. And C, you and PJ are at the exact same point in the story right now. So that makes mm-hmm. for some interesting demarcations of topics. So without any idea of what happens afterwards, I'm the only one who gets that information. (laughs) I get to maintain my overlordship over the podcast. So that's exciting. I think Um, uh, the most interesting thing that we'll see come out of this is you and I got the books at exactly the same time. Oh, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And it's taken me this long to get to this point and you finished it in like a week or something like that i don't understand how you could do this like i feel so bad for you honestly (laughs) it really it really hurt (laughs) yeah i can only imagine there was points where like i just couldn't stop reading like i would Mm -hmm. i remember i think it was the second book um where i literally Mm -hmm. got to the end of the book and i immediately started the third because i could not wait like i literally just like put it down and opened the third and there was no stopping. <laughs> but it was at like 10 or 10 at night, wasn't it? Like you literally oh, yeah. it, it was it was late because you were texting me and you're like, oh, my God, it's not too late for me to be texting you about how much I'm freaking out about these books right now. Right. And I was like, no, no, no. Keep the, keep the live stream coming. It was, it was pretty great. I wish we I wish we would have recorded those times, these little those old things to bring back to blurb into this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think I still have those text messages variously. Uh, I, I snabbed a couple of the uh, the screenshots for your in the moment reactions. Perfect. They're uh, they're great. But before we we get into talking about the book too much or the books too much, let's talk about what we're drinking. So, PJ, what are you having? So I kind of went off the rails a little bit and uh, made myself a cocktail. So I, now you can see it. It's like this bright ruby red. It is a blackberry whiskey sour. So it's uh, two parts bourbon, one part Hennessy, and uh, one part lemon juice. And then four or five blackberries all shaken together and poured into a sugar-rimmed glass. And it's really, it's really good. I'm really happy with it. Sounds tasty. Sounds tasty. Looks good. It, it Yeah, it looks really pretty. I got a nice picture of it outside uh, by some houseplants, but uh, <laughs> which, of course, all these will be on the website as well. Yeah, so you can nobody's missing out. We'll uh, we'll have pictures of, of everything there. And then I've got Moon Man from New Glarus Brewing Company, Wisconsin, New Glarus, Wisconsin. So, yeah, I think we talked about Glarus last week. Did I have Spotted Moon Cow. Man on this last week? Maybe it was a, it was a new Glarus. I don't, I don't remember. All right. Following that up, I've got <laughs> old, uh, old we, we always have a secret beer just in case from the North Coast long, Brewing but... Company. Now you guys get to see how much I actually drink during the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, you I are don't like double the size, so I don't actually usually drink more than what yeah, I say I do. But once in a while, I have an extra beer just for yeah. wetting the palate. Guys, my tolerance is so low right now. This is going to be so dangerous. <laughs> well, well pace yourself well yeah. it'll be it'll be it'll be a good time what are you having kyle all righty so today i'll start with my beer because uh it's a brooklyn lager uh i'm in brooklyn it was the only thing in my fridge which makes sense so <laughs> i love me a good old brooklyn lager um yeah, they're so, solid it's crisp super solid so today i have a super incredible drink that my friend helped me out with. He is a certified whiskey expert, which is kind of a new thing. It's similar to being like a small EA these days, but it's brand new. He is a level one, which means he is a 
scotch-only whiskey expert, and he is doing his level two, which makes him open to bourbons and all of the scotches around the world, which and whiskeys around the world, which I think is so cool that this is like a new thing. And he helped me out and gave, he's been just giving me so much information, which I was really excited for because like the timing was perfect. I mean, like I went on a whiskey podcast, you know, whiskey and reading podcast at the same time as my friend became a whiskey expert. And I was like, wow, like I need to like learn, like I want to like understand what's (laughs) going on here. And he was not shy and giving me hours and hours and hours of information, which I think is so fun. I'm, I'm very excited to have learned so much. So this guy and this huge decanter I have here, which I wish you could see is a Springbank tenure. Springbank's cool. We've had it a few times. We go snowboarding together and he'll bring little mini uh, drinks with him and we'll drink out on the mountain, which is super fun. You'll give me all this information. The Springbank that we have here is really cool because it's a floor malt. They floor malt 100% of their barley on site. Very few places still do that. And it's the only one that does it for 100% of their drinks, hmm. which I thought was really cool. And again, he shares so much great info with me and it's a really great drink. It's got a little peat to it, which I'm not a peaty guy. I'm definitely more on the sherry side of things, but I'm slowly getting more into peat now just by like having good, you know, yeah. good variety. You don't want to chew on peat. charcoal, but... so. He loves charcoal. He will chew on the worst, <laughs> chick, thickest, oldest chunk of bark possible. And it's what he wants. So I'm like, he slowly introduced me to that. I'm still a sherry guy. I still love my Macallan. That's kind of where I started yeah. with in that world. But now I'm kind of going into bourbons, which are a little smoother, enjoying that. So mm-hmm. I have a dram of this, uh, this beautiful whiskey here. But in my cocktail, this beautiful cocktail I have here, it is some bullets bourbon. A classic. In my cinnamon mm-hmm. maple whiskey sour. So, Ooh. PJ, kind of stealing your whiskey sour here, but I Absolute went with the ultra sweet version because I have the biggest sweet tooth in the world. And I was like kind of looking at like some options. And I was like, whiskey sour sounds fun. And I realized I had a whole bunch of maple syrup from Vermont in my fridge. And I'm like, oh, I'm just going to pour like way more like maple syrup than I should in this. So it's actually like more <laughs> like a, a like it's like a maple, maple, maple whiskey sour with mm-hmm. like, you know, like, oh, and a little bit of fresh uh, lemon shaving on top as well. I actually kind of grated it up, gave it like a little pizzazz. So nice. you know, I tried to work on some some of the some of the look and feel of it. And it tastes mm-hmm. beautiful. Good. The only time I ever tried to do that lemon shaving, I think it was on this show. I put way too much. Oh, in. yeah. <laughs> it was like a layer of pulp over the top of it. It was terrible. So yeah, you're like chewing like, lemon pulp. Yeah, it was really bad. But if you've done it well, I, I applaud you for it. I tried to, you know, I mean, it all sunk to the bottom. I don't see any of it. So I don't really know where it went. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you drank it. Maybe. I today am having an interesting cocktail. I actually went completely out of bounds for the most part. It's a Pear 75, right? Icelandic Pear 75, which for those who don't know, it's an ounce and a half of vodka, half ounce of lemon juice, quarter ounce of simple syrup, and two ounces of pear juice with champagne to top. So have I've had champagne two weeks in a row on the show, but it's... uh really tasty it's it looks great i it sucks in the picture i actually had already spun out a lemon twist but i actually didn't put it in the picture when i had everything staged for the website so unfortunately you don't get to see the nice garnish but it tastes delicious it's perfect and then to uh, follow that up i've got from sycamore brewing company skittles but it's spelled with z's skittles which is a hazy ipa it should be should be pretty good they've yet to leave me let me down to lead off the show of course we we did our customary shot kyle did the 10-year dram i did a shot of bullet bourbon and pj you did 
tequila. 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 Dulce Vida tequila. <laughs> Sweet. So with that, we're going to just talk about the books from here on out is basically going to be the move. Want to want to keep it focused on Morningstar as much as possible, but it's also it's the end of a trilogy. So it's not like we're not going to talk about the first couple of books and kind of it'll all weigh together because it's the wrap up. It's the culmination of everything. But next week, we're also doing another episode where we're focusing on the whole trilogy and trying to break it out into into those distinct thirds. So today will be mostly Morningstar. The first thing that I want to talk about here is that that I have to do is explain to everyone that I dragged you both into this beautiful, emotional wrecking ball of a series, literally part of like pitching PJ and the whole concept of doing this podcast was eventually I could talk to someone else about this book series outside of you, Kyle, of whom had read it at that point because I bought it for you and you read it within the span of a week. Now that you're both done with it, we, we've we said before you haven't read Iron Gold. I kind of want your thoughts on just overall how you felt about the book series, um, what, what you liked, what you appreciated, what you didn't like, and kind of what you're looking forward to in the next book. I have something kind of interesting, I think, to kind of go right away into this, which is I did start Iron Gold right off the bat, like right away, because I was so excited and because I read it so fast. I just like didn't want to stop. I read like a page or two and I had to like straight up put it down. I like couldn't do it for some reason. I think like just like hitting the first trilogy and like finishing it and being so emotionally invested in just everything that happened. I just it, with that, like fiery roll of reading that I was on and just that bender. Like I just, I started iron gold and I remember like kind of reading the first page and just being like, you know what? I like, like my mind was just melted for some reason. I couldn't <laughs> do it. I just, I couldn't like follow through and I wanted to, but like, I think I told you cross and I was texting. You, I was like, I don't know, man. Like I just like, for some reason, I'm just not like really into this right now. And you're like, yeah, don't worry about it. Like, you know, Take a I took pill. a six month break <laughs> exactly. when I finished the original trilogy. I took yep. a six month break before I started Iron Gold, and I I chewed on Iron Gold a lot longer than most of the other books. You know, the other books are very quick burners, and I chewed yep. chewed on Iron Gold, but I, I really liked it in the end, of course. But yeah, I think right. that's that's exactly where I'm at right now. I think I'm on the same exact projection. I think like it's been three or four months now since I finished the first trilogy. So I can imagine in like a month here or two, or maybe even this podcast will just like spark me to be like, all right, let's go into Iron Gold now just to keep up with, you know, where you guys are mm -hmm. at. But um, yeah, no, I, uh, I just, it was really weird. I like, I was just hit by a big wall and I was not expecting it at all. Mm -hmm. PJ, how do you feel about that? Is that like a, like, do you I'm, feel like you're just ready to go into it or? No, I'm with you. I think not that I'm not looking forward to it by any stretch of the imagination, but having been in this trilogy for months and months at this point how long has it been <laughs> we've been doing this show since september so <laughs> yeah right yeah like it's 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 been a bit <laughs> it has been a bit um so having been sort of emotionally invested into this specific trilogy for such a long time and having it sort of wrapped up doesn't necessarily make me want to jump in again or it, i'm not i'm not like needing to do that like between between uh golden sun and morning star I, I was like dying to to get into it <laughs> yeah um but i don't have that same feeling right now and i don't i don't think that's a bad thing at all i think it's just the nature of it being the end of the trilogy and question do you feel like pierce brown maybe just wrapped it up so wrapped up so well that maybe i just like like it's not a cliffhanger you know like golden sun was like a cliffhanger right so now it, it's like there's not a cliffhanger it's kind of just like wow he just polished that up yeah but there there is still things that you're you can speculate upon 
on yeah. how things will go. But it definitely Cassius and Lysander. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my god! Um, I didn't. I didn't read ahead, but I'm just saying that's where that's where my head is at. I oh don't yeah, know. and I mean Darrow being a father and what that looks like mm-hmm. while still being involved with the Sons of Ares. Definitely. Yeah. Where where what happens to the Sons in general going forward? Um, yeah, I, I think that something that's interesting that I just want to inject into this conversation for clarity for everyone's sake, Kyle. Like you said, you've read the first couple of pages of Iron Gold. PJ, we've talked about this kind of generally before without being too spoily, but after the series ends, there's a 10-year time jump that happens. And so Mm -hmm. that 10-year time jump kind of resets a lot of those elements. So with that in mind, you know, talking about the way that the series wrapped up, what do you think where do you think that goes? I think that's that's part of what's making me not quite as eager to jump in or not Mm -hmm. sort of champing at the bit to jump in. In that it's I know it's not gonna be the same story. Yeah. And I, I've already become completely emotionally invested in this story. So it's going to be maybe not a hard transition, but a transition to invest It'll in be another different. one. Yeah. And also the audiobook I know isn't the same narrator. Ooh, yeah, which is a it's a it's a sticking <laughs> point for me inside of the audiobook. It I mean it it's not necessarily a full spoiler, but there are multiple POVs in the second book series the second part of the saga. So you're not just trapped in Darrow's perspective, which is fascinating. Mm. And that's, it's a, it's a great change for sure. However, I think I'm of this opinion. Not everyone is of this opinion, but I think they made a mistake casting different voice actors for each different POV, as opposed to just letting Tim Gerard Reynolds do the whole fucking thing. Because if, if Kyle, if you even listened to the audiobook, Tim Gerard Reynolds, it's it's the best audiobook I've ever listened to, hands down. Yeah, I listened to the series the first time to, through, then I read it, then I read it again, then I listened to it again, and that's where like I've just been living on repeat for so long here. Guys, I have a quick th- have a quick note. Uh, Crossan, you haven't even asked your first question yet. And I've already finished my entire cocktail. Oh my god! Oh. <laughs> I, so the, is that normally trick, how this works? Are normally, I to- finish it before we record. <laughs> our, our guest episodes, and this this is what's wild is with three people on and the amount of like talking and pausing and everything. I go through my cocktails so much faster. I have yeah. to supplement with water in between because otherwise, I just like the first time with Bingham, I got so hosed <laughs> within two hours that at the end when we we were done after three hours of recording that episode, which was nuts. <laughs> I like I immediately I was like, OK, guys, I got to go. It's time to go to bed. But that was that was when I was like, OK, guest episodes. I have to drink water. I have to have water in between. So that so, definitely uh, should have been in the notes because I do not have water in front of me. I only have a like monster decanter <laughs> full of whiskey and like a full beer here and no water. So, like, yeah, I am yeah. really set up for success, guys. Well, I mean, we can for sure grab water. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. I don't think I need it. So is it, uh, any other thoughts on sort of the the overlap? Like we said, there are, there are a couple of like lingering plot, plot threads. There's obviously Cassius and Lysander, which Kyle pointed out. I think another big one, of course, is lingering. There's the docks of Ganymede and that whole mess that Darrow left in the rim. And I'm excited. The Ash Lord is still alive. I'm excited to see how Octavia ends up coming back to life because <laughs> <laughs> I have a feeling that's going to happen. <laughs> okay. What is this Star Wars where the Emperor's never actually dead? I mean, yeah, the track records there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, this is better written than those Star Wars plots, though. <laughs> that's all. Not I mean, wrong. At least yeah. at least you're, it's convincing. 
that's that's fair that's i i do i do make fun of it out of love but i there's a lot there's a lot of people coming back to life in this book series (laughs) i mean only only a couple and i think some of that perspective is that you're locked into darrow and darrow is told one thing but another thing is actually going on all the time darrow himself well yeah darrow has died like three times but (laughs) also how many times can mickey just like revive someone like basically just like fix them like I know he's the fixer, but like, man, Mickey, like you are like really a, like insane here, like how you can just fix everyone. This is so why critical. I want to see what he can do mixing together wolves and people. <laughs> yeah, PJ was talking last week or maybe it was two weeks ago about centaur wolf hybrids for like but like what's crazy is pj was talking about it for like 30 minutes the howlers guys guys ancient aliens have you been watching ancient aliens <laughs> because been. there's a whole episode no. on that and like pj i'm totally on your side 100 percent. Oh, we can do it in our that. world we, they can do it in that world yeah 100 percent. oh no oh dude guys i'm a total conspiracy theorist now i've all watched right. this I've, yeah i've watched all the ancient aliens me and marlene have been binging it it's all real <laughs> fucking aliens I, guys i need to need to catch back up with that because yeah, that not used to be aliens, one of my favorite things but it was aliens all right season 14 guys <laughs> they, they really hit some new topics that are just killing it <laughs> oh it's yeah. amazing only on hulu you gotta go on hulu guys oh, 14 yes. seasons all right all right all right I mean, the crazy guy's still there the big service. the crazy like uh dude with the crazy hair the yeah dude he's, he's still, still there. there the aliens guy totally still there it's, that's like, amazing. Uh, wow. Okay, so <laughs> just a quick little tangent there, guys. That's it. Yes. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. So talking about the the book series as a whole, how different were your expectations at the beginning when we started in the mines and the institute to where we ended the story? What what were your expectations? How do you feel about kind of the way that this is structured and changed comparing it to other, you know, trilogy experiences, stories that you like? I, well, the writing got better. yeah but i i think we we talked about this initially the first first episode i think of the first book and you were like asking if i had any inclination of what was going to happen and i think it's important to point out again the intro to the book like the pro or the prologue that's at the like at the outset of the institute like Mm -hmm. he's already listening to a speech of golds so i think he's pretty clear up front with what's happening and what's going to happen so but that said it has progressed way farther progressed from like space hunger games to something completely unique and really really incredible yeah no i totally agree i mean like honestly at the very beginning i was apprehensive because obviously you had to force me into it and it took me forever to like really do it and like Again, like, you know, I from all the beginning of the pot, you know, the podcast here at the very beginning, like you guys talked about, you know, like it was slow, like the first part was slow and it you, it was definitely a hurdle to get over like that mm-hmm. very like that first part of the first book. It still set the stage well. But like, again, as you guys have said a million times, his grow his writing has grown so much. And I think by like the end of the first book, which, by the way, honestly, like the first and second book. I the first book I'm still so emotionally attached to. I really I would almost say it's still like kind of one of my favorites. I like the pre-space, honestly. 
Hmm. I liked them kind of mm-hmm. like the original Howlers, the original, like everything like that still has like such a soft spot for me. I like when it kind of like turned into like Star Wars fantasy, like in the second and third book. Like, I think it had this like, again, you guys have said this a hundred times. It's always like, you know, I don't want to be too repetitive with everything. You guys have like, no, feel free. just Go for circled it. Your around voice, your opinion. Yeah, exactly. I guess this is my first time here. So um, I've just heard you guys talk about this so many times. So it's kind of like funny kind of coming in this late in the game and, you know, kind of having to. Hot take all of it yeah exactly like it's so weird we're at the same point in the book but like i feel so far behind you guys who have just been like constantly like mulling and just talking and like working through all of this whereas like i read this like four months ago i took a huge break and now here i am like like sweating trying to keep up with you guys <laughs> i think in in that respect going back to conspiracy theories oh yes i i think that's that's how i'm approaching this because I've spent so much time like digging in and really analyzing things that like I'm finding way more importance in things that do not matter. (laughs) (laughs) Totally. You know, I I think that's some of the joy of doing this format, right? Is that you would never, like Kyle was saying, you never would get that narrow on specific details if you didn't have to like literally labor over 50 pages for a whole week. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's some of the benefit. It's also part of the curse, right? Is that you, you might not, you might not get the same kind of enjoyment that like Kyle just got out of absolutely tearing through this book. Absolutely. Yeah. Cause honestly, guys, like you guys for like the amount of like word for word, like, going into like the titles of the chapters and like dissecting them. Like I can't do that with you guys. Like I am here totally to give you like a weird, like I read this four months ago. Like I'm still like crippled from it. Like kind of like analysis, which is very different than like what you guys are doing. I mean, quick sum up though, from like the beginning to the end, I read it so fast that like nothing stopped me. I was so into it. Like I was immediately hooked until the very end. Like I did not stop. There was no, like, I did not have any lulls. I didn't stop reading. It was pretty much like I read all three books. Like it was one book. So, I mean, that's the easiest sum up I have for that. And I I think it's written really well to kind of be presented that way. Like I could, I could see similar to, I think, okay. The, the big hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy, like five book single novel. So I could see this book having a special edition single book for the first Lord of the Rings tome style. Yeah. Like it would just be. Hey, guys, quick um, pause. And you don't have to add this into the actual thing, but this is so fun. I love this. This is so much fun, guys. This is what we do every week. It's just fun. We just add it questions. So it's a. You can can put that in if you want to, just so everyone knows (laughs) how fun this is. But like, this is really fun. Yeah, it's 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 a good time. Um, we, We don't try to, you know. We're not sugarcoating anything. It's- I sugarcoated the rim of my glass. True. <laughs> Fair. Good point. We talked about the expectations. One of the things that I want to say up front here is that I actually got a lot of help this week. Um, I was having some difficulty focusing on a number of different things. I got a lot of help from one of uh, my friends from the Sons of Aries subreddit. I previously referred to her as the morality junkie. So helped to submit a number of questions here that we're going to be talking through. So just want to be clear with that. I'll credit each of the questions, but thank you so much for the help. Of course, on that, we'll move in. We talked about how we felt on the book as a whole. I I suppose one of the big questions for Morningstar has to be, 
what do we as like the readers gain and what do we lose when Darrow is revealed when his mask is pulled off to kind of the populace at large right so golden sun he's still lying he's still not telling the truth about his you know his being we gain the trust with his friends that strengthens their bonds but i think we lose a lot of things along that way as well i i think there's there's a little bit of an unfair comparison there because at the same time as when he was unmasked so to speak he was also subjected to a year of torture <laughs> and that's going to really change his personality and change the way that he looks at everything. So it's hard to know what to attribute everything to. To which moment. Yeah. Yeah. Because he changed a lot. Like just being in like the little torture chamber for a year. It's like that and the unmasking at the same time. It's just like so much happened all at once, like all in the beginning of this book, like so much mentally went through kind of who he was as a person. He changed, honestly, he changed a lot. It's weird though. Cause like he changed and he then didn't at the end. Like, I, I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's still, I'm, I'm still figuring him out. Honestly, even at this point, I, this I think book. it's a really good point is that it almost feels like at the end, he almost has a reversal of a lot of the things that were going on for a long time because he's kind of, he's kind of feeling that goal come out, right? Like he's right at the finish line when he's killing Octavia. Well, when he's about to kill Octavia and, you know, dual Aja, there does seem to be this kind of interesting reversal back to Adaro that maybe is more recognizable from Golden Sun and Red Rising. But I do still think that we we lose an interesting I mean, it's the first time that Darrow is forced to be or is allowed, I should say, to be truthful to everyone and doesn't have a choice. Right. Like one of the things that we talked about inside of our Golden Sun, Golden Sun review and got got hung up on a couple of different times is the fact that Darrow is locked in this. And the entire second book is who can he trust and so the, the second book has this feeling of kind of like spy thriller on top of all of the other sci-fi stuff because he also like can't reveal his personality to anyone. But the only case in which he actually does, there, there are only two circumstances that that happened, three technically with Mustang. But the two big points are Severo, who actually Darrow doesn't open up to. Instead, Severo basically says, I know this, admit it. And then there's Ragnar, of whom he opens up to because he wants kind of he he wants to inspire the same sort of hope in him and mm-hmm. not have him be like an obedient slave. And the third is Mustang. And we don't really know the results of Mustang until three or four hundred pages into Morningstar. <laughs> totally. Yeah, I think there's there's a decent amount of just paranoia in Darrow throughout the entire thing even even after everyone knows he seems while while we talked a lot about trust being sort of the theme of the second book there really he has a damn hard time trying to trust people except for victor who he just totally trusts which is really weird right i think i think victor earns it though i think that's the difference is victor actually is the most proactive character in the entire series which is why she's actually my favorite Mm. I like is I she like, is that, she she's the one who I wanted to talk to talk a lot about on this yeah. episode specifically because I think she really like damn she like really yeah she earned it she took a big page you know of yeah. like what's going on is she more proactive than like Severo or Mustang though well Severo Severo's losing his head a little bit in this book well that's true he kind of lost his point yeah he kind of lost his head a little bit and like Mustang's cool but like she's always like she's the love interest she's like you know like she's always there she's the rock in a hard place but like Victor kind of like she was a bad girl and she came good which is kind of <laughs> yeah, fun you know true. like I don't know 
Guys, by mm-hmm. the way, like I've already drank like two full things of this and like I'm already feeling it. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but like I already oh, hit a switch. No. Oh, <laughs> no. Yeah. It's like you lose the, the jacket. Yeah, I'm already there. <laughs> now, I, th- I think I agree with you, Kyle, in large part. I think that Victra earns a lot of her place, her stake, right? Roke earned it or not Roke. <laughs> Roke didn't earn Ooh, shit. Uh, no. Severo. <laughs> Severo earned it through loyalty over time more than anything else. Like, whereas Tactus kind of turned and flipped that switch over time and was really just going to power. Severo always believed in Darrow. He was the only one. He was the only one. I think he was more of a rock than Mustang even was. Truth be told, Mustang was still a test every time. Uh, especially in Morningstar. But totally. we know at the very end why that is. It's because they have a kid and they want to make sure that everything is, you know, good, successful, not just a piece of shit like her father. So, yeah, which is Pets. what she saw, which is why she reacted the way that she did in the cave. Yeah. Oh, shit. That just kind of came together in my head a little bit there. Boom. Welcome See, to the kinda, podcast. Yeah, I was going to say perks of like reading <laughs> way too fast. Like I'm definitely going to be like mind blown by a few of the things you guys probably bring up, honestly. There's probably going to be a few things that you say that I'll be like, oh, man, I read that way too fast. And like, there's also my mind. a decent amount of stuff that I just forget. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's been too long. I do. Honestly, and I've analyzed like, too much since then. Yeah. The what's hardest- super, what's, it's always funny to bring up PJ's predictions back to him. Oh. And he's like, I don't re- I remember having that thought at one point, but like, bah, OK, I never I, thought that guys, that was never I never said that. No, no, we literally have a recorded PJ. You did say that. It's like three episodes ago, like not that long ago, three weeks. It it feels it makes me feel like disingenuous about what I'm talking about. But in the moment, I genuinely feel like that. And then I'll say something completely, completely contrary to <laughs> it. And it's not that I'm like lying either way. It's just I I just forget <laughs> and I feel differently the next week or whatever it is. I definitely feel bad that I have forgotten so many of the points that like when I did read this like three, four months ago, like I definitely had a lot of like things in my head that like I totally could have brought to the table right now. I'm sure some of them have already came back. So I'm really happy about that. But um, again, I am prepared and excited to be mind blown by a few of the things that you guys can like bring up so do it Mm -hmm. just give it to me i mean we've been we've been talking a little bit about the characters and kind of that lens of like what does darrow gain by the the reveal here right i think that he gains some obvious trust and some friends you know like victor doubles down mustang has an understanding because there was a personal introduction before the forced execution of darrow for being a fake gold well mustang um, fucks off and doesn't get seen for a couple hundred pages so Right, like 150 pages, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there is that component to it, too. So I I, th- I think what's also really interesting here is we get a little bit of grounding in the Telemannus' perspective and how, like, rationally, like, democratic and forward-thinking they are, even though they're also sold, even in the very first book with Pax, as, like, a they're, like, socially elite brutes, but they're kind of smart, but they're not that smart. You know? I don't know. The Telemannus' are interesting. Manus, Manus, I still think Sophocles is really the head of that household. <laughs> <laughs> Sophocles is. Uh, I love Sophocles. Mm-hmm. He's he's pretty funny. He's um, you know, it's it doesn't even spoil anything, but he's in the sequel series. <gasps> like he's still around because he's <sighs> a fox. So whatever. Foxes don't live that long. Well, this one does. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. 
Darrow in this book more than any other begins to nab like tactical advantages that have like real universe spanning implications. One of those moments was the destruction of the Ganymede docks that just stands out in my head. Is it at least a little justified for some of the other characters as well as some of the other readers to think of Darrow as as a villain or have a perspective on him as a villain now because he's doing the same sort of things that the villains would do to nab their same tactical advantages. This is a very Roke move. Even Octavia says that it's something that Roke did valiantly, you know, because she doesn't even know that it's Darrow. This one surprised me. This one, like, kind of, like, took me off, like, guard a little bit. It was most, like, out of character, but in character moment for him. Because, like, uh, like, it was nothing like Darrow, at, like, from book two. And, like, book, um, like, maybe, like, in book one, when he was, like, wanting to tear the golds apart... But in book two, he came like kind of very holy in a way and like very like about like ah, being a little more part of it. But like after the whole, Darrow was a different Darrow. And at the beginning of the book, when Sever wanted to blow up the moon like Phobos, Darrow was like very against it. He's like, no, I won't take innocent lives. But then at the end of this book, he like totally took a bunch of innocent lives. So like yeah. even at the beginning of this book, he was like, no, don't do this. But at the end of the book, he was like, yeah, 100 percent. Let's go like totally take these innocent lives for like a big advantage. Where, like, if he had taken Phobos at the beginning, that would have definitely changed a lot of the rest of the book, but he didn't. So, at the end, he did. Like, a different situation, but they're different situations, but it's still, like, kind of overall the same decision-making process. And I'm just confused as to why. I totally agree. I think that some of that comes down to the sort of the, the repeat of the mantra of, you know, Severo would have taken advantage of this and would have killed them here. Right. And that's like the, the constant refrain in the back of Darrow's head is like, I made so many mistakes. I've lost so many friends um, because I made the wrong decisions. And I think that he sees the opportunity to make the right decision and just goes for it, which I, the only other time that I'd say he really kind of did that is the gala in book two right when he decides to reject the idea of blowing up the whole thing and yeah. instead duel and provoke cassius cassius and cassius's family so that he can have you know a place earn his way back into society there are only a handful of times that i think darrow's ever behaved that way but i i think it's a combination of him being kind of jaded at the loss of ragnar and some of that decision making and everything else kind of just scarring him and realizing what he needed to do in the moment so I, I think this this sort of arc of the progression of Darrow's tactical thought process, I think it would have been a lot cooler to see, or th- this this sort of theme would have been cool to see more of the Academy and see him reject some tactical ideals of sacrifice mm. in the moment and then sort of actively move towards them as he sees them as viable tactical options um mm. in the real world after he's spent his entire time at the academy probably fighting against that sort of tactician i i think we do see that though right because even at the beginning of golden sun which is the end of the academy he doesn't want to sacrifice his own troops and like realizes yeah. the blood and the loss and everything yeah. like that and then finally here he comes to he comes to this end of realizing that he needs to that sacrifices are necessary Right. Yeah. It just it would have been cool to see that get tied in more explicitly. Got it. Yeah. 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 Because maybe that's where my confusion was is like, oh, at the beginning, he didn't want to. But at the end, he does. So like maybe that is the progression. Maybe that is just me like not realizing that. Oh, maybe it just made sense that at the end, that is the right thing to do. Yeah. And, and maybe not necessarily the right thing to do, but it, it's I mean, it's the trolley problem on a <laughs> much larger scale. 
Do you think if he knew he was a father, he would have made that same decision? I think he would have like 100% made that decision if he knew he was a father. Oh my god, I think that that is one of the most interesting questions to back pose, because it's also why Mustang doesn't tell him anything. It's yeah. because she doesn't think that he'll ever make the right choices if he knows that he has something else on the line. And that is so fascinating. I think that is like kind of like, I mean, he didn't know he has a child, but like that was the most like, knowing he has a child after that was kind of like, oh, maybe that's a good thing. You know, like stopping war for 50 years by doing this thing. But also like, if he knew he was a father, maybe he would empathize more with the families that he just totally like incinerated so it's like mm -hmm. i don't know like how maybe i don't know i don't know how he would feel had he known he was a father before all, the, all that i was gonna say is if the jackal was in the same position he wouldn't have even hesitated and well, darrow also didn't hesitate mm -hmm. you know like mm -hmm. in, in the same sort of way they treated and we talked about this in the in the last couple of episodes but particularly near the end of the book Darrow and the Jackal start to mirror each other on opposite sides of the ideological spectrum. They start to kind of appear to be the same brutal archetype of character. And I think that that is something that they both agree is the right call to do. Mm -hmm. You can compare that immediately, like the deaths on the moon of Luna, basically for him to take sovereignship with the deaths of the Ganymede docks and the sacrifice of uh, all the all the Ares on the rim. <laughs> nice. Are that you was the Brooklyn Logger opening. Hmm? Uh, I switch between my cocktail and beer constantly. So I mm. like I rotate. But. Gotcha. What I was going to say, just to kind of jump a little bit. Does Mustang explicitly know that EO was pregnant at any point? Like, is she, is she ever aware of that and how much it fucked <sighs> up Darrow to figure it out? I don't think so. But I thought that she told it to him. He told it to her at some point. I don't I don't recall. But because I think that there was a conversation in Morningstar about that. If if that conversation had indeed happened, that's probably why she didn't tell him. Right. Because it really fucked with him. It, it fucked with him. It was to the point where he's like, yep, I'm going to die. I'm going to kill myself at the beginning of Golden Sun and blow up all as many golds as I can with me. Thanks, Harmony, for this bomb. Fuck Harmony. Also, um, where'd she go? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> yep. <laughs> huh. That's a mm. weird plot thread that's dangling there. Yep. Like Cassius and Lysander. Mm. Book five. <laughs> well, Cassius four was dangling four, four. for a little yeah, while next to Severo. And I don't know. I'm still of the opinion he should have stayed there. But you know. <laughs> PJ has some very strong opinions about Cassius in general. No, which I have I strong op opinions of Darrow's unending trust for people he shouldn't trust. <sighs> yeah. I mean... Cassius is a whole thing. I mean, I think that's a future question, so I'm going to save that. But yeah, yeah Cassius is like a whole thing. I still yeah. don't trust him. <laughs> you shouldn't. But even it's at the okay. end of the book, well, even at the end of the book, you're just like, I, I mean, it's it's hard. I think he's going to be a bet. Like, he I earns think, it, you know? I, I think yeah. that he earns it. I think he's a loyal dude. He's, you know, I think we talked about this in the very last episode. Loyal to who? Good. We, we, well, loyal <laughs> to the code, right? So what he, code? Yeah, to, like, to the gold. He's a gold. He's a total, like, gold. He, okay. he agrees with the okay. golds. Right. Roke, I think, is is a true societal gold who is baked in like a pixie who has all the behaviors and like wants the structure to stay the same. What Cassius stands for is what gold originally stood for. He stands for the idea that, yes, golds are on top of the pyramid, but our, our point is more to lead, not to control and lead with fear. It's to promote the survival of humanity, which is what the original like iron golds were there for. So he's like the Ron Paul of the Olympic Knights. 
<laughs> sure. Like, probably he, he's he's in the inner circle of the sovereign. But is he really a Republican? <laughs> fair, fair point. Fair point. Yeah. I can I can I can see it that way. Yeah. No, I. I, I like that. I like that point. We'll talk more about Cassius in a second here, of course. Um, but uh, what what was your favorite new character in this book? We don't get a ton. We get a couple. Pax. <laughs> Pax right at the end. Just the, the baby squealing Pax. baby. Baby Pax. That's my new why favorite is, right there. Yeah. Why is that? I mean, I mean, it's so cliche of like an ending to like end with like a baby. I think like it didn't actually surprise me. It was kind of like it was like a surprise, but it was like, oh, OK, like this is cute. Like this is a yeah. this is a funny, but it's I don't know. It's fun. It's like I like that there's a baby because it does like lead to again where book four goes into like 10 years and we got like a new ch- like a whole new development. It's like, all right, it introduced a new character. So it's not all the same old characters. Like I, I like that there's a, like a new introduction, a new fatherly figure like. I think it will change the dynamic and like it just it it's not a cliffhanger, but it's it's a fun way to wrap it up. I yeah. Don't know. Yeah. It leaves you kind of wanting for whatever the next thing is. It's good, yeah. Good point. I have two answers. One is Moira. <laughs> <laughs> Moira was in book two. But <laughs> oh, was it book two? OK. Book two. But uh, <laughs> uh, but I think holiday. Holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I. I I think so. I think I'm I'm somewhere between Holiday and Steffi, but why why Holiday, PJ? Uh she brings a level of reality. Just being being real. Like she's a real down-to-earth grunt of a person who kind of gives that boots on the ground perspective to Darrow that he kind of misses out on a lot of the times. Because as we've talked mm-hmm. about before, almost everyone that he interacts with in the first couple of books are the most elite of the gold society. Yeah. Like there are very few people in this entire series that are golds that are not peerless guard. Right. There's only a hundred thousand peerless guard. I think that this is actually one of the few problems that I have with the original trilogy on the whole is the fact that we only interact with Pliny as the only non peerless scarred gold is strange. Whoa, he's because the only peerless guard, like non-peerless guard. Non-peerless guard. He's the only non-peerless guard in the original. Except what? for maybe maybe yeah. some of the people in the Iron Rain that you there, yeah, you get yeah, like a yeah. line of getting some, them getting cut yeah. down. Like that's about right, it. Right. They're they're not really characters, right? right? So you don't you don't really get a sense of the way that the rest of gold society works outside of the very elite, which are the top of the families that we see all the time you know we get we get Carnus, we get the entire bologna family we get nero we get the entire augustus family of course and all of the perspective with all of the different kids mm. um yeah but we don't get we don't get really non-peerless guard perspective outside of pliny and he is a whiny politico <laughs> trash for sure want to be peerless it is kind of an ironic title based on our perception of it peerless guard kind of yeah. indicating that like they are so rare that they they don't have peers amongst themselves, but it's all, it's all we see. Yeah. <laughs> it's all we interact with. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Totally. I think that's also something I wouldn't have picked up on if, if we weren't. I, I did not pick it. up on that till yeah. you just said it. I had yeah. no idea. Yeah. I don't think I would have picked up on it at all if I was just blazing through the, through the book. That's yeah. Cause me. there are like, there's like 15, I think the number is 15 million golds or something like that. And there's a hundred thousand peerless guard. 
right? And so those numbers are crazy and very different. And somehow we managed to not meet any other. I think it's even less golds. than that, I, or more more golds than that, because I it, remember it be, the figure yeah, it might, of oh, it might point, be sixty. I I, I want to say it's like point one percent of gold society yeah. is peerless scarred. Yeah. Damn. It's it's somewhere in Golden Sun. It's Rokes explaining it at some point in uh in that book. But yeah, it's it's weird to me because like, what do all of the rest of the golds do if this is what all the leaders of the golds do? Like, what are they doing? And if you're fighting against gold society, shouldn't you sort of look into what actual gold society is? Yeah, not right. just the this the weird elites. Like that'd be like yeah. going and only interacting with members of of Congress. And determining and that that's what only that's what America's right. are like. Oh, sup, Jeff Bezos? How's it going, man? Oh, yeah, that's yeah. a totally normal situation for living. Oh, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like it's. I know that's a that's kind of a strange comparison to make because I think this this entire book is trying to make more of a class classism style comparison, but at the same time, like you're still only interacting with the elite of the elite of the elite. Do the right. golds have jobs? Do they do things? Well, that's <laughs> that's so, also a problem. Do they we do don't know. What's what's fascinating, it's, it's only briefly, textually, what we know for sure, the one example that we get of a peerless scarred really having a job is Fitchner being deployed to the, to the asteroid belt and being a middle manager, which is weird for a gold. So, like, how many golds are middle managers? Why aren't silvers or coppers doing that? Silvers and coppers are doing that in some situations, but not in others. That's the mm. one mental wire that twists and untwists for me all the time. I'm like, what the fuck are all these golds doing except for fucking each other? Like, a lot of that. Yeah. Like that's that's my like one stopping point on this whole yeah. thing is like I want a little bit more there. And it's also the fact that Fitchner was working for Quicksilver. Right. Which is also well, bizarre. One thing, actually, there actually are a lot of non peerless scarred, though, are non peerless because like aren't all the people at like the academy and the school before that, like in the first book, like aren't they technically not peerless? Or well, not they, at that point, but not at that point. So, I mean, like all the right, kids are yeah. still like developing and yeah. most of them leave as peerless scarred. Well, most they leave, of them as leave as peerless scarred. If they, if they leave, they leave as peerless scarred. They leave as peerless scarred. So, like, we still, <laughs> and they didn't get shamed. Yeah. Uh, but they're ashamed one. I mean, yeah, there's yeah. like, there's still like some of them in there that we got like a. Yeah. I mean, because if they don't come out, then they don't come out as. Wait, where do the golds come from then? If they don't come out as peerless scarred from there. Well, like, only, only specific golds get invited to the academy. Get right? invited. So oh, a, yeah, that's yeah. a subset. Or not the academy, the, yeah, institute. Yeah. the institute. So that's a crazy that's a crazy subset, right? So if yeah, we know that there's one point. on each planet, um, roughly, there are, so there are, what, like seven or eight institutes or something like that. And then yeah. there are only a thousand kids that go in each year. And roughly 50% well, make it out. And then you have another, you have another cut yeah. of however many people fucking die. And then some of them are going to do despicable things. Also, how does Antonia have a peerless scar? Like, what? <laughs> that does explain actually how, like, oh, the yeah. percentage, though, of like the percentage Wait. of peerless guard. Antonia, Antonia is a peerless guard? Yes. Okay. So anybody who survives the institute. No, no, there are shamed. Shamed exist. And How is she not? not a star. She literally got crucified. <laughs> she did. She did, but she lived. Literally. Oh, that I is think weird. some of that's the family politics, though, too. Like, yeah. because it's the Julii's. The Julii's. The oh, yeah. In, I forget that this complex. isn't a fair fight. Not fair at all. It's not. <laughs> it's also, it's not meritocracy at all, but it, it gives the appearance of meritocracy. Mm-hmm. I'm still, man. 
I'm still upset that Cassius was so bitter <laughs> towards Darrow specifically for Julian. You, I was going to say, guys, did, did he really need to be that angry at the very, like, let's go back to book one no, for like one he, second. I, like as, as soon as he for figured out long. that, that he was just kind of put up against someone, he should have figured out that someone was put up against his brother. Yeah. Like, come on, be angry. Sure. But don't be angry at the person who randomly got selected to fight him for like three books. So I, I think I think the trick there is that Darrow didn't tell him and Darrow lo- lied about it, right? So Darrow actually lied and pinned it on on Titus. There's so many oh, T yeah. names, but pinned it on Titus and said that it was Titus that did it. And then he finds out that it's not and it's a lie. And so I think okay. that again, between those first two books, a big, big theme sitting in the background is that trust loyalty thing. And so I think that it just goes to show that, like, if Darrow would have been honest, he was he was trying to play his cards as best as he could, but didn't I think I think Cassius would have killed him right there. Well, I think that it would have gone differently because I think everyone would have ganged up on Cassius because they all would have been on our side of the idea of like everyone had to kill someone. You fucking idiot. Like, but I think that Cassius is particularly harmed because he was lied to. He's an emotional 18 year old. Was yeah. He's an he's an emotional guy. Cassius is just very emotional and like he deals with a lot of family problems. He's got like yeah, family yeah. people getting killed all the time. Like, I mean, all like all of them murdered except for his the, mom. His yeah. mom is an asshole who just wants Darrow dead. And and Darrow's kind of the prop, like, you know, kind of had a hand in a lot of the death. So, like, I could see Cassius being like, oh, man, this kid, like, kind of, like, screwed up a lot of my family. My mom hates him. Like, shit. Like, maybe I should not like him, too. Like, there's a lot of things that kind of push Cassius against Darrow, I guess. But I don't know. It's still kind of it's weird because it like there's a lot of things that put him against Darrow. But like, does that mean he's a bad guy or does that mean he was just in a place of being against Darrow? Just because you're against Darrow doesn't mean you're a bad you're on the bad side. He was never actively with the Jackal, like really like planning with him to do bad things necessarily. He was always kind of Roke was Cassius was always on the side trying to do like other things, you know, like he was never like with the Jackal. That's true. So that's why I I don't put Cassius in like the Jackal side of bad things. I think he's always just like in the middle of like not liking Darrow for kind of a good reason, you know, for for reasons. But like, you know, he's just in his own world. Honestly, Cassius yeah, is always right. in his own yeah, <laughs> situation. I'm an Olympic knight and I can sleep with whoever I want, including Mustang for the summer when Darrow is gone. <laughs> Ugh, that's so fucking Mustang. It's, it's so funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Jesus. How do we know what? that Pax is actually Darrow's kid and not Cassius? <laughs> I think it's the red eyes. How? I don't know. Oh, do we yeah, know that for right. sure? And that answers the Spermies question. Lemon. I just swallowed lemon. That was awful. Like the lemon twist that I had in here just went down my throat. That was disgusting. If if, if Pax ends up having red eyes, that answers the color the color of the sperm. The color of the sperm. The quote like, color of his it, dick. Yeah. Is we, we I can't talked believe a that we let this question persist for so long. BJ. Oh, it's hilarious! It's a great. The question. funny part is that you asked it, and you're like, "Does he have gold semen or red semen?" Because we knew it was important with Bryn, so we have to think about that. And I was like, "That's so funny because that question gets answered in the end." But I hate it. Doesn't you. get answered though. It hasn't <laughs> been answered it's, yet. It's, we don't know. Just, is yeah. is Pax considered a pure blood gold mm. or? Is, or is he, he a breed like Zebra? Exactly. Half breed. 
in quote exactly three quarters breed how just how good yeah, is that's weird good point <laughs> just how good is mickey is really what i'm asking. exactly dude mickey's pretty good man <laughs> mickey is well, pretty I, good. I trust mickey daryl even made a joke that mickey didn't touch his junk which is extra funny oh really like that that was that was in that hospital scene in this book in morningstar in the 100 no. first 150 pages no go with the red no no guys this is all natural no yeah, no don't yeah, worry he's, about it he's like no 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 the joke he said was that uh if if you wanted to know he should go ask his mother ah yes <laughs> yes that's it that's it he yeah, didn't say anything was specific joke. about what right. happened to it I man, I, I think it actually pays to talk about culture for a second here and then we'll jump into kind of the villain question, answer more of the Cassius stuff that we've been talking about already. <laughs> but I really like the differences in culture that you see between the colors over the course of the entire series. Of course, you don't get a good view on everything, but like red having this kind of like sub Irish culture is interesting. The culture blues, like the way that they're raised and treated and react is wild. They're so different, like just locked in. Of course, gold's this like aristocratic thing. And we don't get a whole lot of silvers, but we do get Quicksilver, and he's interesting. He's an interesting lens on what that I, color is. I don't know if that really counts because of how how off he is compared to the rest of society in general. I, I don't yeah. think you can glean anything off of silver society. You um, could do the coppers, though. You could do, we get pod, yeah. Podinius, Podinius, something like that. Quicksilver reminds me more of like a gold. He just has this like kind of thing to he's him. Close. Like, yeah, yeah he's just like he's so above. It's like he earned like a gold level in the silver. Like he kind of just right. So there, there's it. when they're at the museum and they talk about sort of the what was it? The pre. Oh, what's it called? The pre something America. Yeah, pre pre war. It wasn't quite pre war, no, but it was like pre, no, pre not pre republic, about. not pre like. Pre-imperial, pre-imperial, pre-imperial America and 21st century ostentationism as <laughs> the the stereotypical silver like art style. And he he's just like splattered it all over his walls in a way that like people it seems like it's unbelievably so like over the top with it, which we come to find out is like he's not. It's an intentional mislead. Yeah, exactly. Um, but that was. That was a cool payoff to how Quicksilver acts, but it does not tell you really anything about Silvers in general. I think fair, fair, because because he's got a different affectation about him entirely. Mm -hmm. He's doing everything he can to come off as just a really wealthy Silver. Now that we're through the trilogy, I think that it's interesting to like me meditate, not mediate, meditate <laughs> on the different relationships that are built throughout the novels. You know, there's there's a number, of course. We see the ending of Darren Roke's relationship, which is a big deal in and of itself. I know that very early PJ and Bing and Tib also painted me as Roke in a corner. And I and Tib, knowing how that story ends, <laughs> is very unfortunate. <laughs> I mean, of course. it's still true. <laughs> oh, Oof. <laughs> my soft heart bleeds pj um yeah say it no, more flowerly I, I thought that was flowerly you, more you, more more my soft heart bleeds for there you. you there you go there you go the wound <laughs> the wound you you've go. inflicted um yeah no there's a number of relationships that, that are very important over the course of the series what were yeah. some of your favorites hmm 
I have a preference here that I can I can announce right away. Pierce yeah. Brown did a magical thing, and I think I talked about this maybe at Red Rising at that point, but he did a magical thing with Darrow where he created a love triangle with a dead person as a part of that love triangle. Eo is dead, and yet he's still so focused on her for so much of the story and is constantly combating his relationships for Eo yep. with his relationships for Mustang. And Mustang, when she becomes aware of Eo, is also kind of like aware of that and it feeds into the whole thing that is a, mm-hmm. like creating a love triangle even, with a dead person is brilliant even before she knows who eo is and she knows, knows her as persephone she's she's aware because she's, he's saying it in yeah. sleep and in yeah. the institute well, there's yeah. that yeah that said i don't know if it's just because i have multiple brothers or or my time on like different sporting teams but the camaraderie between Ragnar and Severo, I think, oh, is yeah. my is the <laughs> most natural and and funniest pairing of the entire time. Like mm-hmm. it, it comes across as two very different people interacting in sort of a comedic way, but it, it's so naturally exactly what happens on a team or in a family. Like they, yeah. they, they act like brothers and it's, it's perfectly done, but also fucking hilarious most of the time. I, I think that's so interesting too. And it, we, we talked about this in the moment, but like Severo knowing what to do when the obsidians are revolting is strictly because of all the time that he got to spend learning with Ragnar when Darrow was in the box, right? When Darrow was removed. The only mm-hmm. reason that he kind of has that familiarity in the moment knows that action is the way that they respond is because of those moments, which I think is fantastic telegraphing from Bruce Brown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, like I think that's, what's really cool with the relationships is less of like, I guess you're saying PJ, like in a team sense, like the howlers at the beginning were really cool, but the fact that they kind of stayed throughout the whole trilogy was Sever still like, even though he took over the sense of areas, he still had these howlers throughout the whole thing. Like as like a gr- group relationship, I thought that was really cool. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of like, like pairs of people who were really interesting like you know again victor pebble yeah i mean victor yeah. and like several marry getting married like i think is so interesting from the very beginning like again because i read it so fast that like everything happened really fast and like from the very beginning to like the end it's like whoa like even ha- even for me analyzing it week by week 50 pages at a time they yeah. got married in a fucking heartbeat Right. That's kind of what I thought, too. I was like, man, and it actually worked. That's the craziest I mean, part. It wasn't within, like a, it within 10 to... pages. They went from yeah. being not <laughs> dating yeah. to being married, married. Yeah. hundred like, percent. And then we, we never saw them get back together. We saw them break up and then we we heard that they got engaged. Well, Severo hung himself for the mm. record between that point. That did have a really big statement. <laughs> And then, That's like, true. was directly yeah. addressing her with, we are the future. We yeah. together are going to be the... And it was, you know, That's that, was, true. that was interesting. But, yeah, no, I, I feel I feel what you're saying. But, yeah, totally. like, all, all I'm saying is, backing up what you're saying, even, even having read it at a slow pace, that was super fast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay, so your favorite pairing is the Howlers plus Victor Severo as that, like, relationship builds over time. Kyle? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I don't know. There's there's a lot of like obvious ones as well, like kind of the ones you were saying. But I mean, also like I mean, I even the Mustang Darrow kind of thing was always going to happen. But it was nice to kind of like it was so fluctuating and in and out and you never knew. And like, where was Mustang throughout all of this? But like, I don't know, like it was kind of nice mm-hmm. that it did end kind of 
On a positive note, I don't know. There was a lot of like negative things that happened. A lot of people died. Like a lot of relationships, people died. A lot of people died throughout this saga, like throughout this trilogy. Like so many people died that a lot of these relationships, like we want to talk about Morningstar. It's like, man, there's not a lot of people left. So like, it's kind of nice that at the end of the book, you know, there's some positive relationships here. Like two of our married couples are married at the end and, and, a, and alive. Like that to me is really special. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if you um, have followed much of what we've recorded for Morningstar, but one or two episodes, the first episode, like the intro episode, we put together a Deadpool <laughs> oh my god oh no no i didn't hear about the deadpool this, this was a okay. nightmare um, oh god there's crossland, so many people crossland put forward like 25 30 names something really? like that 18 of them 18 I, of them got paid off on the last episode really and we had uh, we decided to do a third of a shot for each one. Oh no <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think it would be as bad, but like I saw literally today, actually, like I don't remember where I saw it on, but um, it was like George R. R. Martin Game of Thrones. And it had like a like a a bookmarker for every death on like all of the books, like kind of stacked up. And it was literally like a hundred like fucking little stickers sticking out of the book. And I was like, whoa, that's fucking intense. And I was thinking, I was like, man. For this like trilogy or the whole thing, like it'd be really interesting to see just how many of those stickers are sticking out of the book there of uh-huh. deaths because there's a lot. There's there's that's... a lot. I think that's actually something that makes this series better. You know, we we talked in especially in the first book about this kind of having like a, the first book has a young adult ish feel. Um, yeah, but it still has mature moments, of course, like Pax dying, that sort of like cutting off the hand and him getting stabbed and like the jackal, like trying to tear through yeah. Pax to get to Darrow is obviously a big deal. And then a lot of like the back half of the book is brutal. The first half can kind of you could pin it up to like YA. It kind of feels like that. Yeah. The second book totally graduates in terms of gore and grotesqueness and like the way that it treats death and characters as though they're throwaway rags. And this third book um, really is like Moira. Who was she? I don't know her. She's <laughs> dead, though. She was a fury. She was kind of important, but um, she's dead. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think what's so fascinating is as we're going through the series, Pierce Brown is also getting older. He's aging from his 20s into his 30s. When we talk about the back half of the series, he's only five years older than us collectively sitting here talking about this. So we want to talk about it. He was putting out Morningstar right now at our age. Oof. So... Like wild, a b. Yeah. Where's it going to go from here? If we think about some of the things that we like as themes as we're growing up and kind of figuring that out growing up at whatever twenty eight, twenty seven. Um, like yeah, I mean it's it's only clearly going to get. I'm still twenty six. Well, fuck <laughs> old old ass motherfuckers. Yeah. <laughs> uh, has Pierce Brown commented on any of our of any of your podcasts yet? He himself has commented on a couple of messages that we have posted variously, but not yeah. directly on the podcast. Mm-hmm. He is a very big fan of the the couple of podcasts. There are three of us that do this. There is um, the first one was Howler Pod, who yep. there are guests next week. We're going to talk about that at the end awesome. of the episode here. Hail Reaper, who is another podcast that sprung up a week before we released our first episode. So <laughs> right around the same time. 
then yeah. there's us. So we are the three podcasts that really covered this in depth. Cool. There are a couple of other ones that read it because it's fantasy, but he is a big fan of Howler Pod and really liked them. Uh, they had the board game come out this year. So there's a board game for Red Rising that came out this year. Oh, and on that, there's a Howler card and that Howler card, the first Howler in the frame is Pierce Brown and the second and third Howlers are the hosts of Howler Pod. So the three faces that are on the card are Pierce Brown and the two hosts of Howler Pod, which is super cool. That's intense. Um, as, when is as the a, movie as coming painted. out? So Pierce Brown is a screenwriter, right? So Pierce Brown is a screenwriter. That's what he does between books. Um, and he's worked in a number of different uh, he's worked in a number of different TV rooms and whatnot. He's been working and shopping around scripts for a while. He had he was close to landing a production deal. Didn't pull it off. Um because it wasn't going to meet his expectations. So mm-hmm. I think what's unique here is that because he is also a screenwriter, he can position himself better than most authors could to mm-hmm. sell something out. So Does, cool. is, is he it's positioning himself to be the screenwriter for showrunner? Yes. Yeah. So okay. with, with TV series as it goes, you don't typically have one person who writes all of the scripts. It's generally a writer's room. So you have the lead showrunner who's in charge of the overall tone was. So, uniquely, there are a couple of examples where it definitely is. Craig Mazin wrote all of Chernobyl. Um, mm, so Scott, good. Scott, whatever his name is, wrote the... Scott Frank wrote the entirety of Queen's Gambit. So A lot good. of these miniseries projects that came out are single authors that are framing it as a X-period movie, right? So, yeah. you're thinking mm-hmm. about the miniseries as like a... Instead of it being a miniseries, it's a five-hour movie or it's a six-hour movie, yeah. etc. I will say, I don't know if I've mentioned it yet before on this podcast. I'm sure I have, but maybe it was before we actually started releasing stuff. Chernobyl is my favorite piece of media ever. It's, it's fucking I think you said incredible. it in the trailer, but yeah. Yeah. Did I? Incredible. Okay. Yeah. I love it. I so absolutely good. love it. Yeah. It's so well done. I regret... I regret watching half of those episodes on an airplane while I was flying because it was like on mm-hmm. Delta. So like I watched it on the airplane and i regret it because like i wish i could watch i wish i could watch all of them on the big screen because like uh, so beautiful so yeah. as far as being in the podcast space goes if you ever watch it again watch it yeah. with the companion podcast with the director mm. it's with no it's with craig mason it's not the director with, with the, the director yeah, has with, shifted each episode but craig yeah. mason the writer the writer the writer yeah. So he he breaks down his decision making process of like what really happened versus what was changed for dramatic effect and why. Mm. Craig is my favorite person on the entire planet. Craig Mazin, um, for the record, he I hosts feel a slighted script notes and well, offended. Um, he he hosts the only podcast that's better than ours called Script Notes. Yeah, which is with John August, who wrote Big Fish. And Ooh. Charlie and the Chocolate Factory cool. and a number of other movies that are are great. He was a Tim Burton partner for a number of years. Yeah. And wrote a lot of those movies with Tim. But so the two of them had a podcast, have a podcast and have had it for years. And they talk about what it what's like to write movies and what the world of like screenwriting is like. But Damn. it gives you so much insight into the production process and how that all pairs down and looks. Yeah. And I mean, he's been talking about The Last of Us ahead of The Last of Us actually coming out, this new series that he's writing a little bit pieces here and there. He was talking about Chernobyl before Chernobyl came out. It's And the way that you like would write something like this or Red Rising or Dreaming Up series, he was a guy who sat in on the first Game of Thrones pilot show with D&D and told 
Craig told D&D that that pilot was a piece of shit. They need to <laughs> go back and redo it because it was garbage. There was no huh. way the pilot was going to sell. And he he continually he took his notes out on one episode and he just read them out loud. He's like, none of this makes any sense. These characters are illogical. They're not bowing properly to kings and queens. They're not respecting the authority of the room. You're not setting the environment right. And it's like clearly Craig Mason knows what story is. Nice. John August did the humor for Iron Man one, so he did the humor Ooh. rewrite. Yeah, which Iron is Man crazy. Good. Iron Man one's so good. Anyway, that was a complete tangent. The point being, screenwriting very important. Very important. Uh, and you can't. You could. I think you could in this example give Pierce Brown like singular authority over it. But I think at the same time. You kind of want to have a writer's room because you want other people to also be able to flesh out scripts and things you might not have noticed. Because I'm sure there are things that like PJ and I pick apart, for instance, or that any number of fans pick apart that like he didn't think about at the time. But we were able to draw the lines and connect. That's all right. All right. right, right. Pierce, if you're listening and I know you are, um, we know you're one of our 500 listeners. I'll join your uh, your writer's room. (laughs) We all will. I'll I'll jump in. I will do this for you. I know you'll appreciate it. I'm an idiot. Don't listen to me. <laughs> no, but like it's good to have a bad perspective in the room. So like maybe maybe you're just going to be a low 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 tier writer's assistant. Straight to there, there we go. There we go. Yeah. You're just there to get the cookies and coffee. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, do so I get to eat to some of the cookies? And drink no. some of the coffee. No, that's deducted well, then, from your pay. Deducted your from job. your pay. <laughs> yeah, no. I quit. So I think it's worth it's worth talking about because I think Pierce Brown pulls these off like no one else. What was your favorite plot twist? What was the favorite moment Oof. where the knife was stabbed in and spun and you had to freak out and react to it? What was your what was your moment? Weirdly and surprisingly, the point when Severo jumped out at the end mm. yeah like there, there was yeah. just so much death yeah that in retrospect it makes total sense mm-hmm. that he got such a small he didn't get an epitaph after dying even even internally in mm. darrow's head but in the in the heat of the moment for whatever reason it never crossed my mind that that was a ruse and mm. It, oh yeah, I, I think Same. it was just because there were so many other bruises that it just kind of flew under the radar. Yeah, I mean, when he cut his hand, Darrow's hand off and stuff, I was like, oh my god, like there's no like coming back from this. Like, dude, they're he's fucked. Yeah. Like, they mm-hmm. really got themselves in a hole here. Like, I honestly, like, I would say, like, the biggest surprise was that whole all of that from the moment like Cassius like shot sep- shot quote unquote sorry Chevro. From like to the point where like he killed Octavia, like all of that, every part of that yeah. was just like, what the fuck? I was just yeah. like, they're digging a hole. They're digging a hole. Di- there's no coming out of this hole. Can't be possible. I'm still back. of the opinion <sighs> yeah. that Cassius is not on Darrow's side, <laughs> but I at I least agree. I can agree, I agree that he probably his morals aligned with him in the opposition of Octavia. So. Yes, I, can, I don't think he's he's not on Octavia or Jackal's side, but he's definitely not on Darrow's side. Totally okay with like that thought process. I'm okay with evil though. Kind yeah. of a a parallel. Yeah, which alignment. I think has which I think is more dynamic. Anyways, I think it's better True. that there's like multiple Agreed. people in like different points of like mm-hmm. you know the spectrum 
I expected this sort of relationship out of the Obsidians. I expected this to be the relationship with Sethi, to be something Hmm. kind of parallel and separate Hmm. from the Sons of Ares. There's still room for that to happen, though. There is still room for that to happen. <laughs> there are still multiple books, like after this, where like Obsidian's totally. And apparently, there's, have... there's ten years that we get to wait. So totally, I think the we'll Obsidian's see... had too much stuff happen, like in Morningstar here, that like they just like followed through with like a lot. That like I was surprised that they followed through with so much that they just like kind of did every. I mean, Daryl still had to go through a lot. Like, I mean, he literally had to like kill obsidians and like kill golds and still like deal with such a huge amount of like that was a big part of the book right there was like trying to get the obsidians i mean i think i mean i was it 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 felt ragnar that was a weird section that was a really weird section it's it's almost disconnected from the rest of the story but it is like it is it's still it's still central each of these parts actually feel very distinct whereas the other stories it all kind of blended together but here it's they're more unique this book really has like three different kind of three or four different, like really big sections to it. Like the whole beginning was kind of its own area, but then there's like, you know, going out to like meet Sefi and Ragnar dying and like kind of being in the, you know, the North pole in a way. And then, then there's like the spaceship battle with Roke. And then there's like this whole crazy twist ending. Like it really had like these big sections to it. Which could have been entire books in a different person's hand, which is wild. Yeah, like you could have, you could have spent so much time inside of these different sections. Yeah, I think it's almost. You I know, think I, I think he needed to spend more time with the Obsidians. It felt unearned. Yeah, it was it, it was too fast. Yeah, it was it was like I I think I kind of wanted a little bit more. Like when he went and killed the Golds, and then you know the Asgard. Except, yeah, when yeah, they went and claimed Asgard, Asgard and it's just like shoop. it was too fast. <laughs> like it was like them. oh wow, it, that was easy. Yeah, it was it was too quick for how much they were building up, how little they would respect him without Ragnar. Fair. Like it, uh, it just he, it, it felt it felt he like did he did do a lot though. They 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 still don't like totally throw in their lot with him, right? Because they yeah. still rebel against him at the first moment of it coming up, right? Seth, that that's the whole like Severo kind of retaking the obsidians and being like, no, 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 shut up, stop trying to rebel, stop killing all the golds, come back to us and understand. But I think that there, I think I agree with you. There's a core misunderstanding where the obsidians aren't strictly aligned with the red slash democratic ideals of the future society no. we're gonna call that the republic now but the republic yeah i like even yeah. even Sefi too like she didn't choose to go at darrow because she wanted to go at darrow she kind of choose it because she was against her mom who like <laughs> was a piece of shit who's a piece of shit like she was like right. man fuck this like you've been lying to us like you knew that these golds were like i mean like i don't know like i think Sefi's on her own world kind of like cassius i think they're more of a parallel and i think they'll maybe i agree sh- with you i think that those two characters run in parallel Ooh. within think, their colors though yeah. within their colors yeah, within like their, their colors they run yeah. in parallel yeah even so kind of going along with with what you're saying but not in, in a parallel kind of way i think i would be much more satisfied with this if he had put in like a single paragraph of exposition of explaining darrow going through and recruiting the other warlords of the obsidians he, did but it was Sefi. it wasn't darrow it was mm. it was Sefi recruiting which is why they all like yep. joined and so and it was, that's it was that's why it doesn't feel like a good payoff it it feels like darrow didn't really do anything 
Agreed, to recruit PJ. the Obsidians. Agreed. What I'm saying is I don't think that they have loyalty to Darrow. I think they have loyalty to Sefi. And that, that's, yeah. that's the, that is a potential fear going forward. I don't yeah. think that that's a... Then lean into that more you. and make that tension. I think it just, they did it, with the whole it, revolt. It felt, it felt flat. Mm. Okay. It did feel even, flat. It even did with, feel flat, but I think maybe that's what... Maybe maybe that's on purpose. Maybe like in the next books, it's gonna be like whoa. So maybe something's gonna happen with that because I feel like the Obsidians. There is like a big untold story there with the Obsidians. I think there's just more to happen. I feel like maybe like we're feeling a little flat with them because like maybe there's some more to come with it. Because I feel flat with them too, and that's why I feel like I'm kind of have this anticipation building in me of like something's missing. Man, the hardest part of this whole thing is like biting my tongue. And I know that like readers all the time will write in like listeners to our podcast will be like, how don't you fucking talk about that right now? And I'm like, it's because I can't. They haven't, I can't. They haven't experienced it. I can't yeah. do it. I was and just so, going to say yeah. Crossland's face is behind his actual microphone. So I, I can't see what his reaction this is, is. This is so unique because we're <laughs> never on video. And so like there are a lot of times we'll just like reel backward in my chair when PJ says something, hit the mute button and be like, oh, my God, <laughs> so close. He's so close. So close. <laughs> um, and like a lot of people have talked about it in our reviews and otherwise they've been like, PJ, sometimes is Nostradamus. And the other times is fucking so wrong that he's like a peasant <laughs> in it, just shoveling a shit pile. So yeah, oh, I mean, it's I I will tell you like <laughs> if you if you take some dice and roll them and use those to predict things, you're gonna be more accurate than I am. But I am <laughs> once in a while very correct. Fair, fair, fair. <laughs> yeah, no. No, I'm I'm very excited for uh, for the the kind of outlook there. I think that I agree with you though that it could have been painted better. Thinking yeah. about the three books though, we we can take a second and meditate on this between the three of us. Which how how would you rank them? How would you rank the books Ooh. if you had to pick the order? Fuck. I think. Oh man, I think Golden Sun number one, Morning Star number two, and Red Rising number three. Mm. So I, I think I think I'm weird in this where I actually Morningstar is my number three. Golden Sun is my number one. Red Rising is number two. Red Rising does such a good job of building the world immediately um, and like creating the environment See, and I, invest I, in these characters. Morningstar yeah. does a great job with payoffs and it's it's a wonderful book and putting it at third is not a slight at all. But I, guys, I guess I'm going to I'm going to throw a total wrench in this. I'm going to go like I'm going to go Red Rising one Morningstar two. And I, I don't remember anything from the second book right now. Fair enough. What the fuck? Fair enough. Awesome. This is so good. No, it's so good. I love Golden <laughs> so, Sun, but like right now in my head, and maybe I'm just like a little fuzzy because of everything okay. that I just had in front of me. But like, um, <laughs> I, I, I love Red Rising so much. I think it started off so well. I love the Institute. I love everything that happened, how everything started. I love the payoff of Morningstar. I don't remember anything that happened in the middle right now. I am just like totally <laughs> blanking on all of it. I remember the beginning and the end, and I'm just like, oh man, I'm just we in have that place. we have three entirely unique. I love that, mm-hmm. which is great. Which is which great. means every single book by one of us is rated one, two, and three. Yes, a warrant. It, it, it's <laughs> truly warranted, which is fascinating. Yes. We didn't. This is not even in our script for the record. This is not a question that I was planning on asking. It's hilarious that we landed on these three different moments. Yeah, I feel like I'm wrong in all of these. But like in that, like maybe like I feel like you guys, I mean, it definitely like 
three is kind of like, I think kind of almost the best, but I just love one. I don't know why, but I just love Red Rising, hey, the very it's, beginning. It's fair. So I, I guess I approach it looking at, looking at it from, from all three of them in that I get some great exposition and great world building from one, but I don't get amazing story. Yeah. If that makes sense. So I, I don't think two would be as good as it is without one. Of course. Mm-hmm. But if I'm just analyzing the story, two is better. But I, I entirely yeah. see where you're coming from in that one being very, very good in that it it sets up so much going forward. Wait, you, you went with book two as your number one. Correct. Right, though, PJ? That's so what I'm yeah. saying. So we didn't, oh, we, didn't we were totally oh, not unique, quite, but not quite. Okay. Okay. Close. 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 So book three wasn't anyone's favorite then. Yeah. I don't think it was. Um, interesting. But, but that's not to say that See, it's not, it's not a really though. good book. Right. Yeah. Like that, that's the trouble that I have is like, it doesn't feel like you didn't hit a slump in this book. It wasn't bad. Yeah. It, it just, it paid off all the things. Right. And yeah. for the most part. And so hmm. that's, that's okay. It's okay that's, to end that way. That's interesting. I don't know. It's just it's interesting that none of us is like, oh, yeah, number three is like the best. I would kind of like yeah. I, I really love three a lot. I did. too. Um, it's yeah, it's just really interesting that it's not one of our favorites. Yeah. Yeah. I'm torn. I'm torn. I really like all of the different character moments that happen in three. Yeah. Um, we kind of talked about duos earlier. One of the things that I wanted to like reference back to PJ and I were asked this question on a podcast that we were guested. We were guests on. Ooh. But we were invited on to High Key Obsessed by Thomas Boomhauer. Great, great show. We discussed at the time, we were in the middle of Golden Sun, our favorite bromance inside of the series. So the <laughs> options at the time were Darrow and Cassius or Darrow and Severo. Ooh. I added Darrow Roke because mm. PJ didn't know what was going on. So I just wanted to like kind of feed into that. But I never liked those three options. Fuck you. Uh, but given, <laughs> <laughs> given, those, given those three options, what would you choose and why? Let's let's break this out now for the people where we weren't fully able to explain. We Dude, can now that we're finished. And this is why I love book one. I loved Cassius and Darrow's like bromance. That's why I yep. love book one. I love their bromance. And like even yep. when it went sour, like I still loved those two. Like I liked Darrow being or I liked Cassius being like. I don't know. I, I just really like, I felt like I was in high school and like, and like this drama, <laughs> like just like, it felt like a drama. Like I felt like I was like keeping up yeah. the Kardashians a little bit, like in the first book, <laughs> it was kind of fun. I don't know. Maybe it really just, did like, feel like that. Yeah. It was kind of like that. It was like a reality TV show. Honestly, mm-hmm. it was pretty funny. And I think maybe that's why I was so like into it. I don't, I mean, my girlfriend watches that stuff and I guess I watch it on the side. I don't watch it, but like, you know, I watch it. And um, <laughs> it's like, there. maybe I was just like into the drama. Maybe that's why like number one, like the first book, Red Rising was just like so interesting. It really like had just like it kept changing every chapter. There was just like another thing happening. And it was like all in one environment. Whereas like, again, as like these second and third books were like very like sectioned off with like big things happening. The first book was just so like. One fluid, spa- fluid yeah. one space with just a lot of different people all interacting. I loved those bromances. And like Severo and um, Darrow didn't have like a bromance in the first book, like as much as they did in the second and third, where they were like, I mean, buddies. Yeah. 
Um, the first book, <laughs> it was like Cassius and um, Darrow that really like, yeah. I don't know. It was so interesting. And Roke and Daryl. Let's let's not okay, discount no, the boy Roke. Roke. Let's not discount Roke. He was kind of a, a side shit, character but... even then, though. Uh, I didn't even like him back then. I didn't like the poet. No. I just I've never well. been into the poet. I don't know. I I always felt like I if if I had to predict someone was gonna like throw a wrench and shit, like it would be Roke. Like at the very beginning, I feel like I just never liked Roke. I kind of always had like a weird sneaky sp- suspicion of Roke of being like something just like is fishy about him. And this is why I most likened Crossland to Roke. That makes sense. (laughs) (laughs) I'm brutalized here, boys. This is so unfair. (laughs) So unfair. (laughs) But I weep for the albatross around Darrow's neck, which is the trinket of Yo that he wears for the entire story. Anyway, <laughs> I find that fascinating. That's just a just a complete side note from Golden Sun, you know, it was a poetry moment and um yeah, no, it's true. I do definitely break out a lot of the poetry for the group of us um inside of the story. That's one of the things that like I I don't actually think gets enough attention from this series is the way that Pierce intentionally layers in poetry because he he loves and reads so much um, like ancient Greek poetry and like lives inside of that space while he's running the series. He even today he shared he's rereading the letters of Seneca, uh, the the Tower of Seneca. So he's like totally going old school stoic. And I'm like wondering how that's going to impact some of the writing going forward. So I don't know. I want to spend some time to talk about this book and its relationship with villains. There's there's a handful, of course, that we have over the course of the series, but really we get a lot of our like background villains brought to the forefront here in kind of big ways. We have Aja, Octavia, and the Jackal. And PJ wants me to talk about Cassius here, so we'll put him in the the like pile. But talking about those those three slash four, how, what how do we feel about the villains of the series? Cassius did kill Fitchner. I just remembered that. Well, yeah. I think Roke did actually. Nope, Cassius nope. did. Cassius, Cassius, killed, Cassie, no, yeah, you're right. Cassius right, killed Fitchner. I did just remember that, and that that makes me feel things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> PJ definitely feels things. I I do not like Cassius. <laughs> uh, okay, well, you know, like I know you've talked about maybe on the other like like you know situations before, but like, can you give me a, just a super quick rundown of just why you don't like Cassius so much? I would love to just hear a quick because. Little, his his decisions are entirely emotional which is fine but also he decides to justify those quick emotional decisions for years going forward like he he will dig in on an initial gut reaction and won't change his opinion on things even though maybe the facts don't line up with what he reacted upon emotionally. But that's more family driven, though. What you're talking about is really like the Julian problem here, right? That's his entire story arc. That uh, That is the entirety of his interaction with Darrow is I hate you because you killed my brother. Until the third book. Including the third Which, book. But up in the third book? He is he does wrap his towel around him when he comes out of the, you know, the hole. He does like, you know, give him some 
Yeah, he treats him well. He yeah. treats him well right off the bat. He's the only person who does. I, you like, it, but he still three. treats him as less than human. He's like, I'm going to give you I'm going to give you like some things because you deserve those. But like at the same time, I don't know that I can fully vouch for you. It does have that impression. Yeah. <sighs> OK, so I mean, like, PJ, do you think Cassius is me a good guy or a bad guy in the next couple of books? How do you feel? Because, I mean, you don't like uh, him. I, I predict you're going to say he's going to be a bad guy. No, but, like, I'm not. I, I don't think he'll be a a quote unquote bad guy. Okay. I think he will be a primary focus. And if not a main character, I could see Lysander being a main character looking up to Cassius. Um, So Cassius would be sort of a moral compass for somebody that, that would make him sort of the, (laughs) he's adorable. Linus. Uh, we, we are seeing a live feed of the most adorable dog I've ever seen in my life. So sorry. <laughs> I don't think that makes him a bad person. I think it makes him ne- like a main character, but in opposition to Darrow or, or Darrow's kin. Again, it's the parallels in a way. It's, he's not like the bad guy, maybe, but like. I it's, definitely feel like he's going to still follow like a similar parallel path. Yeah. I don't think he's going to, I don't know if they're going to be the bad guys necessarily, but like, I definitely feel like I don't think they're going to be on the same side. So knowing, knowing that it's multiple different points of views for the next book, I think it'll be multiple different moral compasses that we'll be seeing. And I think, I think, uh, I think Cassius is going to be, the righteous without being the lawful if that mm. makes sense i i think we'll see mm. a rebellious a righteous and a lawful mm. interesting. interesting that's 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 interesting read if you're to if you're to make this, the same call though kyle as you were talking about like lysander cassius yeah some of the other characters we have lingering on the periphery what would you make the call going into the next series i feel like Darrow has been kind of like the good guy through everything. I'd be really interested to see if he gets put in some weird situations where maybe he's not the good guy. I don't know. He's been like kind of this weird tout of like in like in and out of this kind of like he's always been the good guy, but he kind of makes these decisions and like he's always been on the good guy side. But like, I'm kind of curious if like now that we're on like a whole separate trilogy, he's kind of like a dad now. Like, I'm curious where he's going to go, if he's going to always be the good guy or like I I mean, I, I I'm going to respond yeah. Think about Star Wars in general. Yeah. They are the next. Yeah. They're the, He's the protagonists. Vader. They're the rebels, but they're also literal fucking terrorists. Yeah. Like, and that's what we're dealing with, with the sons of Ares as well. Like as righteous as they can be, <laughs> I mean, that would be <laughs> a little bit different. Him joining the empire him taking over as sovereign which i could see happening as well i mean mustang uh, is the sovereign hmm? mustang mustang is the sovereign mustang is the sovereign she, she is the Shit. sovereign so like she literally it happened i know you think that is like no that no, no, no no you, that like i forgot she's the sovereign i now. forgot that's yeah. yeah so which means he is the sovereign's like fucked right hands he is now the sovereign almost <laughs> yeah he is the king. Yeah, I mean, like their their son, daughter, whatever is their child is 
uh, the prince of the sovereign. I mean, like he is mm-hmm. now at the highest situation in the land, war, galaxy. The new Lysander, right? Like a new right? Lysander to some degree. So I Lysander is going to line. go and smother Pax at some point. Yeah, I think there's a there's a lot to happen here. There's there a, lot a lot of options. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. where I'm at. So wait, what was the original question though? Wasn't it just about the bad people in China? Because I feel like there's a lot of other bad people. <laughs> we were, that was about, like, we we're talking about bad people. We, we 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 got cut up on Cassius for a second. So let's talk about the other villains, the actual villains, not Cassius. Cassius is a villain that's there. But let's well, talk about like Aja. They're all dead. Well, Audra, the Jackal and Octavia are all dead here, but they're very different perspectives that we get on the villainous persona, right? Like Jackal is a true schemer. Octavia is a manipulator master. And Audra is just loyal. She's loyal to a fault. She's actually like, she seems like one of the most like badass, like the most powerful. She's intense. She's the most powerful character in the entire series. No question. Audra is like, I would not want like. Like one on one, dude, like she's insane. She could fucking rip up anyone. What's what's crazy is just just to speak to exactly what you're talking about. What's crazy is when you when you think about like hero sequences, it's generally the hero fighting off four other people and they're they're sitting there and they're like battling against everyone else. And this is actually a flipped version of that perspective. We're taking four heroes to take down the villain. And she is the own hero of her own story. And. Man, oh man, does she just like layer in the work as it comes to like the Willow Way and being like Lauren's? But it's truly like a reversal of the sort of way that final fights go. You can even think to like the Last Jedi when it's Kylo Ren and Rey against the the legion of soldiers that were protecting Snoke, and it's even a reversal of that where it's like it's the bad guy protecting themselves against four good guys, and she almost manages it, which is nuts. Do you really think several like? totally like was able to take her down i mean like i know he was like shot with some crazy shit but like man how did he do that i I think it's i think it's the four of them it's it's three versus the four changeover all right at least one of them will be alive before the end of dark age oh okay so you're saying that three out of the four people i will bet you two shots on air that aja octavia or the jackal one of those three will come back to life before the end of dark age Okay. Okay. Do you accept that bet? Two two shots. Yes. Sure. All right. All right. It's a minor inconvenience. <laughs> for you? Yeah, for me. Okay. <laughs> so I got I got something to say about the jackal. I think he got off way too easy. Way too easy. I think he deserved so much more. Yeah. So much more death. So much more pain. So much more suffering. He just like he got off so easy. Okay. Yeah. His tongue got cut off. Great. And then they hung him and Mustang pulled his legs. Why did she pull his legs? Why didn't he just suffer forever? Well, I agreed, agreed. I think that's I a agree. callback to the beginning of the series, <sighs> though, which is like the family, the loved ones pull the legs, right? And she actually, PJ and I talked about this in the last episode, of course, that you haven't heard. Yeah. But we we talked about it at length. And I think one of the things that's interesting is she there there's a question that remains around did she want to go forward and pull his legs earlier was it darrow that was restraining her was it the political motivation of not pulling her legs like if you should let this person suffer right because he's a crim he's criminal he's a criminal against humanity and so you should let that person because of his inhumane crimes suffer longer but i think that she ultimately has a core emotional connection to him where she wanted to pull the legs earlier for sure no i totally i understand 
all of that. Like, I think right. all of that is totally just, I just think in the writing, they could have just made his life so much worse at the end. Like, I think there's just so much room to just like really like make him deserve it. And of course, obviously he's getting hung. Yeah. Pull his legs. I mean, it's all totally just, I get it. I just think there could have been more. I think he deserved I think, more. <laughs> I think if you haven't listened to the episode yet, yeah. when Darrow gets broken out of the custody by Trigg and Holiday, yeah. Crossland asks what's going to happen to the Jackal. Yep. And my response was that Octavia wasn't going to waste the uh, the resources put towards planning the uh, dissection of Darrow. And they were just going to dissect the jackal instead. And I think that would have been better. <laughs> that would have been so much better. See, I would yeah, have loved that. Man, what's fascinating, though, is that the jackal is able to manipulate himself into a situation where he is going to take over the galaxy at this point. Uh, it's not. I mean, it, it's 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 more strong arming than manipulation. Well, it it's strong arming, but it's also like a collective manipulation, of course, because like the only way you'd get those on if he were if, if he was able to like core into whatever the the local structure was, which he has via media that he's owned over the last couple of books. I think the nuking of Luna almost with everything else that is going on inside of the story goes under the fucking radar in terms of like the humane violation of what the jackal is doing. Because yeah. you you end with like this crazy battle against Aja, this crazy razor artist, you're taking down the sovereign Octavia dies and her final dying breath is like the jackal is worse than I was. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh shit, he's killing 6 million people at a time. Fuck. And we only have minutes to like react and deal with this. Like what the hell are we going to do? Yeah. And man, I, I, it almost so much of Morningstar, especially at that end point, just comes so quick that yeah. so it's so hard to, of course, like Darrow equally had a hard time, like piecing out the decision making, but decided like pulling out the tongue and then like convincing Lysander, telling him to convince the Ash Lord to uh, to turn against the fleet just made sense. But man, the the nuking and the bombardment of Luna is just crazed and brutal and paints. I think the Jackal is one of the all time villains ever. He yeah. was the villain of three I, books. All three I, books, he was the villain. Like, that's intense. He but he kind of made, th- made you think that he was a good guy in the middle book. Like, Golden <laughs> Sun, he kind of... Yeah, this perspective of them working together. Well, he might not no, be good. It, he's it like, was, he's okay. He was working together out of necessity. Not yeah. out of... Not out of, like, actual truce. Yeah, never um, a good guy by any means. It, yeah. was, it was a weird... I will say, I was... I For was sure not a, good a little bit upset by the lack of concern that Darrow had during the the nuking when he went and, mm-hmm. and actually attacked the Jackal. Because mm-hmm. I would have thought that any sort of inability to communicate with Lilith would have triggered nuclear holocaust. The end times, yeah. Now, yeah. I, and I, I think I'm it should have. I, I think... In in a tactical setup, I don't think there's any situation where the Jackal would not have that sort of endgame laid out for Lilith. I, I think it's I agreed. I think what's interesting is kind of a mid-stop point, though, is like 
the jackal is still alive, but he's without his tongue. And so that angers her and she activates two bombs at once in that moment. I would have thought that any sort of inability to give commands would have been taken as. Yeah, I'm gone. Activate nuclear winter. Yeah, because no tongue is basically dead. Like in the voice of like a walkie talkie, it's basically like if you don't have your tongue, that means you're dead. Like there's no yeah. voice. Right, exactly. right. She could hear him squealing, though, over the And line. that's even worse. Yeah, that's Three. that and is it enraged her. That's why she did two bombs back to back. But yeah, it, and I, I think mm. it should have been more planned out than that. Knowing the jackal yeah. and how diabolical he is in most circumstances. I think that, the jackal wasn't hoping to even hit this point. I think that this well, of is course really not. The, but of course arm. he has contingency plans. Also, like, when he doesn't not? always make the best decisions. It's not like always it's going to be the perfect thing. And like that wasn't the perfect decision. Like 100% like PJ, you totally call it out like that is not that wasn't the best decision. And it probably should have led to a full on like detonate everything Holocaust. But like it didn't. And which is kind of weird. But like also like it wasn't the best decision. You're also assuming that like Lilith is the worst kind of person like that. She would just detonate all those at once. She's really bad. Yeah, she's really (laughs) bad. She's She's, really she's she's a straight up minion to like. Yeah, she. Yeah. To evil. Yeah, she's crazy. Do you guys think that she died? No, I don't like I don't like that you asked that question. Well, <laughs> I also don't I like that you asked that question. <laughs> I hadn't considered that. Yeah, why did you ask that? You guys think that she died when they shut down the ship? Mm. No. Yeah, now I don't. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Well, new enemy for uh, for book four. Great. Interesting. 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 I yeah, think she's no, was, going to become the first of the Howl Riders. Half wolf. Half wolves. <laughs> yep. That rides across the galaxy seeking both vengeance and <laughs> justice. <laughs> I don't know. You're fired. You're fired. <laughs> anything, anything we want to say about Octavia Raja here to cap off our, our villain bit? Uh, Octavia wasn't as bad as I thought. Yeah. I don't know. Octavia, she was kind of like. I think she was meant to be like this big kind of like bad person, but she just never was actually like. I mean, she, she was had strangely her grounded in the wrong yeah. figurehead, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, she was oh, a lot like. Um, sorry, I'm blanking. Sefi's mom. Uh, oh yeah, Alia. Uh, Alia, very similar to Alia. Yeah. Like she knew, she knew all the problems. Didn't even care. Just followed the same situations, you know. Just yeah, but like, she was in charge of the situation, which is what's so different with Octavia. She was I, choosing that actively. I think um, Octavia was more passive in everything and kind of followed mm-hmm. along with her Olympic Knights and her Furies in general. Aja seemed to be more autonomous than fair. even Octavia did. That's, that's fair. Mm-hmm. Even though Aja was acting on the orders of the Sovereign, it seemed to be more of a spiritual thing than an actual, like, I'm following orders thing. It was yeah. more like Aja was following the following what was supposedly demanded by the 
sovereign without necessarily being a direct order for so long that he's like i'm i'm doing the mm-hmm. right thing like Aja's constantly like i'm doing the right thing i'm trying to do my best to yeah. support society which i believe is right and i think that that also comes off in the way that she was taught by lauren and some of those other perspectives that come in from the second book and the way that she's obviously been trained by lauren to be very purist very stoic very she's she is in her own right she appears to be a villain but in reality she's just a victim of circumstance because i think in a very different world yeah. she would not be the way that she is because um, lauren's a I good guy kind of like, he's, he's a racist but he's a good guy yeah 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 but he's still like he was i don't know i always kind of felt like lauren was kind of like on the good side so it's kind of weird that you know lauren she went- was lauren was definitely more i mean more lauren was directly and explicitly not explicitly, but almost explicitly, Marcus Aurelius. Yeah. Mm. He was very close. He was almost exactly Marcus Aurelius as far as stoicism <laughs> and the following yeah. of him goes. Yeah. So wait, PJ, you have read those books then, correct? A little bit. Not 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 to the same extent that crossing he started to read meditations in the middle of this and actually noted something what was it was severus and you equated the relationship to severo that marcus aurelius has because he references a brother named severo and we actually yeah we messaged pj message pierce brown did not get a response on that one correct but yeah in meditations there is the yeah in the in the opening book he's talking about his brother severus which Historically, we know that Marcus Aurelius did not have an actual brother, so it's it's an know, adopted brother. It's hypothetically <laughs> an adopted brother, and it's all talking about trust and trusting in your friends, and like yep. it, it follows the ideal of Severo, especially through book one. This dude just stole Stoic ideology, painted it out into a crazy sci-fi <laughs> opera, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and I'm not mad about it. Oh, no, not, not at all. all. I, I, I just really want to know. I really yeah, want right. to know how much is coincidence and how much is directly inspired. Plucked. Yeah. That's very cool. So, we've, we've talked about how the next book series has multiple POVs. But I think an interesting question here for this book is if you could choose any character's perspective to live in for this novel alone, who would you choose? Which character? I got a few. There's a bunch of like little like empty spots that I really want to know about. Mustang, her like whole like what she felt, because apparently Severo's the only one who knew that like who really felt that Dara was still alive. What did Mustang feel? I mean, she was pregnant. Like, I want to know what the hell was going through her head. Like, oh, my God, what the fuck? Just, you know, am I a single mom now? Like, what's going on? Like, because the first time he sees her, she's like meeting up with like in this whole big congregation of people that it was just weird. Like, I mean, I know she was for good reason, but like, I like just an interesting. So I want to know what led up to that, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Orion and the Pax. I kind of want to know all these space adventures they've been going on. I'm sure they've been like, having a blast. Space pirates. Space pirates. No, they totally even space pirating for the past, like, you know, year. I'm really excited to hear about that. That could be like a whole, like the Mandalorian thing going on right there. Like, I want to hear a whole like series based on that. And the last one is just Roke. Maybe his like eternal monologue of just like what the hell is going on from his point of view. I mean, again, I don't like the poet, but like he really like turned against Darrow and everything really hard, obviously for good reason. But like, I just. I want to hear if there's any sort of like if he ever like in his dreams just like misses the good old howler days and like oh i think 
I think he does. I think he does. I totally agree with you. I think that I don't need anything from Rogue's perspective because I think it's portrayed when Darrow is living inside of his crew room and the only thing yeah. that's saved in his holovids is just the moments of the Institute. And yep. he's just living in the past constantly. That's why I think Rogue is such an interesting character in the end when you start to like look back on the story yeah. is he had so many opportunities to do better and to be better than what he was. And in the end, he chose to side with the side that he'd been indoctrinated into believing and siding with. And Roke to me is a very complex character because I think there are moments where Darrow could have swayed him to convince him that he could have done the right thing. But also without those strict swing moments, there was no way Roke was going to change. There was Roke was set to be a bad dude, just maybe not as bad if, uh, it was, it was all when he put him under. intervention. It was all when he put him under for that one time. Right, which is, if he didn't do that, everything would have been different. Wild. It's, it was that it's one so wild because so, it made him question everything about Darrow. It's like, why did you drug me in the yeah. middle of one of your grandest moments? Like, why? What? Totally and then like, sense. Quinn dies and he's like, I couldn't even save Quinn. And like, it's your fault. Like, clearly. Which is why I do love the situation because it actually is so emotional and it makes so much sense. Like you really yeah. feel so like connected to like why he feels that way. It but just- also think about the intention in that moment. He was he was essentially wearing a suicide vest. Yeah. Like what what would be the thought process of Roke when he wakes up after Darrow detonates a suicide vest? I wish probably a little bit different. I wish Darrow could have just explained it to him. You know, though, like I feel like he just never explained it to him the right way. And and that's where I feel like he does. Roke is the biggest miss. A lot of people focus on Tactus, and I think Tactus is a piece of shit who just agrees with whoever's in power. But I think Roke is is easily convinced otherwise. Yeah, like Roke could have been convinced on the other side. Tactus will go with whoever has the most authority in the moment. You guys have talked why. about Tactus a lot. I don't like Tactus. Fuck Tactus. Yeah, no, I, I'm with I, you. I agree. The, the the fandom in general like really likes Tactus because he stands for a number of different perspectives. I understand why, yeah. but I I just for me, Tactus. Yep, entirely, entirely. Whereas Roke has has a lot of nuance and he's 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 yeah. trying things. And he could have like tried this on to like make to see if the dress fits. Even if it doesn't, he probably would have given Darrow a head start. You know, like it, it's kind of one of those characters or to me, like even if he decided he needed to decide with Octavia in the society, he would have been like, Darrow, go. I'm going to let them know in 24 hours. Like he yeah. would have given that space in most circumstances. The only part that shits me out on my opinion is the fact that he very quickly said with the Jackal when the Jackal realized it going into the end of Golden Sun. When the Jackal figured everything out and pieced it together, he was able to easily, with very little information, convince Roke to side with him to fucking kill Fitchner, to kill Lorne. And that to me is like, you suck, Roke. I'd like to see more of a dissertation on how that went down. Because I'd have a, I, I have a feeling that it was a little bit more nuanced than that. Sure. In yeah. that, Roke was promised something very explicit by the Jackal, and everything else kind of came along with it. That's not. He what became king of the Roke, space like fleets. I mean, he was like he was, straight he up. He was like, going to. He, he he already had that ahead. Of, he already had that beforehand. 
Uh, he was in Parada before did before. Yeah. He did. He did. He did. Okay. He, a, he was already. We didn't really see him. He was already yeah. the most like respected Imperator. Yeah. He was. Ever. Good point. Since, since a historical figure from our history of <laughs> Admir- Admiral yeah. Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, that's mm. who he was likened to. So I, I, I think Roke was probably sold a bill of goods that included a lot more than what he bargained for. That's why that's why I feel okay about him, and I don't include him in the villain list. Well, he's still uh, a piece of shit. He and still I'd is. Still... He still is, and he deserves it all. But yep. oh, he could have been. He's he's the biggest could have been yeah. to me in the entire series. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's the point, though. I yeah. think the I think the entire point is there's going to be really respected, powerful people on both sides. That have their own moral compass and regardless of what you believe in, they're going to believe in something different and you have to, you have to build your story around that. And it's what makes a compelling story as well. Yeah. Like if Rogue wasn't like that, how boring would this story be? Agreed. This book would suck. This book would really suck if Roke was on Darrow's side. The the moment and everything Roke else decides to kill same. himself is just so brutal and yeah. repugnant in a number of ways, and it's so defining of the character. But it it, it solidifies it's, who the character is, and it really solidifies what he believed in. Yeah, it doesn't feel out of character at all. It just nope. it feels. It feels like a moment somewhere early. Yeah, it's definitely final yeah. um, in terms of words of Roke. But yeah, it's it's upsetting. Roke is one of the characters in that I think about all the time outside of the series where I just like go back and I'm constantly like, man, Roke could have been different. Tactus, it could have gone differently, but not I I cannot be conceived that it could have gone that differently. I think it would have betrayed him later. Yeah, but it just yeah, agreed. So rapid fire ish questions here. What was your favorite scene of this book or favorite moment? Hmm. I didn't write something down for this one. I was kind of hoping I would like think of it like during this whole talk um, just to kind of like really like bring me back into it. I don't know. It's hard. I like in Morningstar here. There was a lot of scenes that I really liked, like a lot of parts. Um you know, I feel cliche saying it, but I, I, I really like how it just kind of like wrapped up in a way. I don't know. Like, I, I kind of like just a happy ending. I just wasn't expecting yeah. it, honestly. I didn't expect things to like end up like wrapped up in a good way. I don't know. Maybe it's just because I was so used to so many cliffhangers. So like, and it's, I, I don't like a clean ending. I don't know. Like, I think it's like too nice, but like, it is fun. I don't know. It's It's just, it's. Yeah. It's, it's compelling to have like a good ending and it still leads off to like a lot more like in the next book. So I think it's not like it didn't end it for me. I like how like I needed some time to before I started the next book. So like it just I like the ending. I, I like I'm not against it. I think I'm very content with how this book finished up, wrapped up. I'm just really happy. So like I think just ending it was a good place for me. Huh. OK. Yeah. I That's don't good. know. Easy. I think I've got to go with Ragnar in his interaction with the rest of the sort of feral obsidian society. Like the the moment when one of the cannibals just kind of stops and essentially begs for eternal salvation 
from Ragnar. Hmm. Like that, that was a really cool scene and a, a cool interaction of rec- it, it was a completely different culture that we got introduced yeah. to in a, in a very unique and intense way. Yeah, no doubt. No doubt that that entire the cannibal scenes are like live on in my brain forever. It's yeah. so different than the rest of this book. This book has like six or seven different bits, which I is think, wild. I yeah. think we should have spent a lot more time. Yes. I want the, more cannibals. Talking about that. You're right. You're right. Yeah. More well, or, or at least more, more of the obsidians. But yeah. The obsidian Again. just the like like I mentioned earlier, the obsidians and their um relationship with darrow seem half-hearted and not fleshed out enough i think there's gonna be more obsidians and i'm excited but we already we already know that darrow has like 15 times the amount of obsidians that the rest of gold society has the gold are they gold society had something like seven thousand. yeah but are they his are they his obsidians or are they just obsidians i i more meant the sons of Ares. Yeah. And that's arguable as well. I'm not going off Crossland's like very obvious like gestures right now, but like they just don't seem like Crossland's a, a, not a, one to make obvious gestures. I take that as a red <laughs> herring, honestly. <laughs> yeah. I I just feel like there's so much more with that with the obsidians than like what we've been giving. Oh, I feel like our feelings are basically are there on purpose. I feel like we feel this way because he wanted us to feel this way. And there's not enough exposition on how he got them to join in the first place mm. to make it feel like a reasonable betrayal or bolstering, depending on how it goes in the future. I'm curious to see how you feel once you like once we once we start reading the next books, because like I'm excited mm-hmm. to read the next books. I know Me I'm probably too. taking Crossland's words out of his mouth right now because he can't say them. But like, again, I haven't read ahead, but I am. I just feel like there's I don't know. There's I feel like there's more. I feel like this is on purpose. I, I just have yeah. this like feeling that like there's more to come and we feel upset for a reason. That That's just fair. makes me feel like there's more. Yeah, yeah, I think if nothing else, Pierce Brown does exactly that. Like if you're upset, there's a reason you're upset. And yeah, that is going to pay off into something. It might not be the way that you want it to pay off, but it will pay off because I'm upset too, PJ. I feel the exact same way you are. And that's why I feel like there has to be like if he doesn't resolve it, then like then that's his fault. But I think there's mm-hmm. got to be some resolve here. OK, yeah. our final question of the night for this episode is uh, favorite character. Well, who is your favorite character throughout the entire series? How would you land? What did you enjoy the most? What was the perspective that you dug? You first. I think for me, it ended up being Victra, strangely, especially in this reread. <laughs> Victra ends up holding a very interesting place in the story where she is actually far more influential. And I don't think it goes recognized well enough where she is at first, as PJ pointed out in our episodes, is lambasted for being very truthful, but being denied from being a pot- potentially trustful individual because of her family and she just proves it again and again and again and again and people still keep questioning her and it's like why 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 are you questioning this like she's given up everything to be here and even then in those moments where she finally like reemerges with the uh 
the troop of Valii ships, not Valii, sorry, uh, Julii ships, she is able to take those back with no question because and she's way more trustworthy than Antonia is, and they all believe her because she's actually the inheritor of the well. Victor, to me, pure character, wonderful, glorious, love her more than anyone else in the series. Um, are we talking about the series or the book? The series, but like the book. Then Cavax is my answer. Okay. Love that. I love him. I, I really do love Cavax as a character. He is simultaneously serious and uh, wrathful and strong and at the same time loving and jovial and just joyous. Like there, there are so many very, very, very strong emotions that come from Cavex as a character. Even though he's a fucking crazy person that feeds jelly beans to a <laughs> yeah. fucking fox. Like, I love him. Like, he he is my favorite character of the entire series. But that said, I don't think he's my favorite character of the book. I don't think he's my sure. favorite character. Sure. Boring star. He really doesn't show up that much. And when he does, he's a little bit watered down. Guys, I'm at such a, like, a loss with, like, my favorite character. Because... <laughs> What's Every, your gut say? I mean, like, I just, I want to, like, root for the, like, the Darrow protagonist, because, like, yeah. I, I just, like, the more I think about it, I'm like, I'm not, I don't like any of the bad people. Like, I'm just like, I don't root for the bad people. I'm, I'm very, yeah. like, Cassius is terrible. I don't hate Cassius. It's, it's, it's I know it's so hard. Like, I'm in such a weird place with that. Like, I feel like every answer I have is, like, wrong, because, like, I, I just, like, like, there's a lot about Darrow that I don't like. A hundred percent. Like, he is not necessarily the best character but i love a lot of things about him and like throughout the whole series i think there's just so like he's on a fucking roller coaster of like who so complex um and i definitely can't say mustang because like i think there's just so much missing with her like i just i like i think there's so much more that i'd want from her before i could say that i really like her like i just out of these main people Severo has so many problems he's so funny i really like Severo. again i'm kind of coming in this like at the very end like my first time on the podcast where you guys have talked about these people so many times. So like you guys kind of have these like more sub characters that you really are like love and where I'm coming in, like at the very end being like, you know, like I feel like I can say like, I like Darrow the most because Darrow is fantastic. I, I don't, you know, I don't like you at all for thinking that Darrow is great because I think Darrow, to be honest, from a, a protagonist perspective has way more depth than a lot of yeah. protagonists have. So totally that's okay. Hundred percent. I think he's had so many ups and downs. He's made a lot of bad decisions as well, uh, but a lot of good. Just I don't. I just I really like Darrow. There's not a lot of other ones who like really make me feel like I could just like go in depth on who they are um, and why I love them. I think I think I just kind of want to like maybe keep reading the next couple books and really like just. I think I have more. I think there's just more before I can like really pick. Yeah, that's my fair. absolute favorite. We'll, we'll invite you back. You can come on at the end. Beautiful. Um, either either post book six or post book five, whichever way we end up landing on this. Our, our goal is hopefully the way that I position this is to hope that by the time that we're done, we'll get an announcement of the very least of book six. and We might like do a book in between. Totally. But we don't embark on an entire series in between this. But that's that's a hope. Mm. That's a hope. But it would, it would be great to, of course, 
wrap up and like revisit a lot of these characters and thoughts and things like that. But you'd pin Darrow. I think I'm going to go with Darrow. I mean, I just like I am not a protagonist in my own life, but I just like I like who he is. I think he's like kind of there's a lot of things about him that I I just connect with. I don't know, maybe in my own situations and just how like I feel like I felt a lot like him. I don't know. Like out of everyone, maybe it's just because we're in his monologue the whole time. Maybe I just we have the most connection to him throughout everything. But again, like I liked again, my favorite book was the first book was Red Rising um, number one. And I just like I feel like in that book, he was going through so much um, and he was so kind of just cunning right away. And he really like came off at the very beginning. Really cool. Um, and he definitely changed throughout the second and third book, which is why I think overall there's like a lot of other characters who became more intriguing and better, but like right away, I don't know. Just really You're loved. Bought into Dara. Yeah. I was just bought into Dara at the beginning. So it's hard for me to like, again, and maybe that's just because of how fast I read it too. Like, I felt like I was in his mind the whole time reading it so quick through all three books. Exactly. I was, I was, I was bought in by, by Darrow. Pierce got me. He just dragged me right into Darrow. All right, Kyle. So this is the point in the episode of which you get to pimp out whatever you're doing. Talk about anything that you're you're working on, anything you're excited about going forward. Whatever you want to talk about. Oh, man. I get to talk about me. That sounds. Yeah. You here in the cr- podcast. Crazy. I mean, I guess like world events. We're like in a weird place in time. I'm super yep. fortunate to still be like working and doing what I love. I'm glad that my job allows me to do a lot of cool things. I get to go to Montana in this next week and do a really cool, fun, personal short film, which is something new for me. I get to, you know, I'm working, I'm able to pay my rent, which is cool. So like, honestly, I'm just thankful overall that like, I'm able to just continue doing what I do, hopefully getting a vaccine very soon in New York here. It just opened up for us. So like, we're just available to do it, but overall, man, I'm just pretty pretty like super content with life. I'm a little overwhelmed with like how much stuff is going on, but that's a good thing. Like I'm glad that I'm staying busy. I'm glad that I have a super cute little puppy that I get to like take care of every day. Got a great little, great little situation here. I don't know. I have no complaints, honestly, right now. Everything is, everything is golden. So I, I love the way you just answered that, but I'm going to push a little bit and say, if you've got to pimp yourself out a little bit, Oof. I'm not, I'm not used to that. Like if you're, not, if you're, like that. if you're talking to people Ooh, that, you're making me uncomfortable guys. Yeah. But like, if you want to, I don't know, uh, plug anything or yeah. pimp yourself out for anything. Like, I mean, what do you I'm want not- people to go see? What do you what do you want Your people Instagram, to go explore? Even just yeah, just yeah. Follow, follow, follow the Instagram. It's it's at Kyle Lieberman. It's just a bunch of random photos. I don't post as often as I should. I mean, mostly we'll, bicycles. We'll tag you. We'll yeah. we'll, love bikes. We'll post we love bikes there. in this household. Bikes are fun. No, I mean, like I'm in New York. I mean, all my like uh, stories are about my li- my dog. So I mean, like if you want to see a super, honestly, guys, just follow everybody loves linus that's what i want everybody loves linus guys showed me pictures of his dog during a break earlier today it is the most adorable dog i've ever seen in my life it's amazing i was on kyle lieberman at at everybody loves linus those are the two i was on a shoot this week i was shooting for a6 and on set i got more people to follow my dog than me 
I mean, that's like, that's what my life is about right now. Like, I don't Did your care dad if come with you my Instagram. Or like, were you no. alone? Oh, no, he didn't. I just showed pictures of him to everyone on set. <laughs> that's, that's hilarious. Because I'm a proud dog dad. Um, oh, absolutely. As you should be. Uh, you know, all right, all right. I got one more little shout out. I do own a really cool photo studio in Brooklyn. It's called Prospect Studios. That's a pretty cool, fun little endeavor that I opened up right before COVID hit, which is terrible timing to open up a business, but it also gave me a fun, safe space to like have to work out of like throughout the whole quarantine, play with my pup inside and like a nice big studio and um, yeah, invest in a great photo video workspace, which is so cool. It's like two blocks for me, put a whole bunch of time into it. and I'm really proud of it. So that's a that's a fun little new endeavor as well. I checked it out last january right before covid really broke out was it january that was the yeah or december yeah. it was december it was december the opening or january, party. yeah yep december yeah it was it was it was great it was fantastic and the space looks so great and there was so much intention there and obviously covid shit on everyone's intentions for every <laughs> desire and purpose yeah. um but that said the space is incredible if for whatever reason you're looking for a photography space inside of brooklyn you could not be in better hands you guys are too nice well we're factual <laughs> so you say we're too uh, nice but we're, I'm, we're just telling the truth i'm an idiot that barely reads so you know. <laughs> <laughs> any anything else you want to say kyle any any other final thoughts no thank you guys so much this was so fun honestly like this i mean i have to like i mean it was kind of fun waiting this long honestly like just being able to like have you guys progress this far like waiting till the kind of end here to like be a part of this like again like I kind of wish I was like right away kind of like got to get into it because that was like right when I finished reading is like right when you started in a way. But it's really cool that like I got to kind of finish like this last book and kind of do this part with you guys. This was so fun, honestly. Yeah, this was the time yeah. fun without a doubt. So glad to have you. Like I said, we'll we'll definitely have you back at some point. If it's not for a short story episode, it'll be for something else. So we'll, we'll figure it out. No doubt. It was a great time. So talking about next week, next week is going to be so busy after this week. Uh, we got three episodes for you. So this week is coming. This episode is coming out on a Thursday next week. The first up is going to be us covering a new newly released and highly anticipated novella breach of peace by Daniel Green. Daniel Green is a fantasy lover and a known, well-known, well-loved YouTuber. And I think it'll be interesting to follow this trilogy of novellas through as it's released if we uh, if we settle and decide that we can handle the entire thing, I've already read it. PJ is going to be coming upon it. Of course, I, I listened to it the moment that I could. And I, I have a physical copy now that I've read through twice. So it's it's going to be exciting. Second is going to be our special trilogy wrap up with the Red Rising Darlings, Ben and Aaron from Howler Pod. If you are not familiar with them, we have we, we I think we mentioned it in this episode. Yeah. Or that might have been during a break. I can't remember. If you heard it, you heard it. If you didn't, here it is. Uh, There's some great people that talk about Red Rising all the time on the internet like we do. So we're going to jump on with them and have a wonderful time, I hope. The the third episode that is going to come out next week is where we're going to be kicking off the second trilogy that we've talked about in the Red Rising series, known as the Iron Gold trilogy. We're going to be talking about expectations, some thoughts of PJ moving into the second series, and and whatnot. It's going to be a shorter episode. It'll probably be 30 minutes-ish, like we, we typically do when we introduce something. 
after this, we're probably going to be cutting off the intro episode, unless it's an intro to a book series or something like that. But this is going to be the last one of those kind of shorter form. But I think it's important to like kick off and talk about the establishing characteristics like we did over the course of this episode. So mm-hmm. finally, thank you so much to Kyle for being here on the podcast. It was really phenomenal to have you. And I think we we all had a great time. This is this is fantastic. We we'll do this again any day of the week. I'm so excited. I yep. can't wait for the next Absolutely. one. And that's where we're going to leave you for the week. Continue to refer us to your friends and family. Leave us a review on iTunes. I can't tell you how much it means to us to leave a review on iTunes. So enough, they're in charge of all of the recommendation algorithms across each of the podcasts. So follow us on your preferred platform, of course. But if you have an iTunes account, leave us that review. A five star review means a world to us of, of difference. It's crazy. You can find us, of course, at our website at Words and Whiskey Podcast or Words and Whiskey dot show. Uh, you can check us out on social media at Words whiskey show on both instagram and twitter words whiskey we pod. love you guys word oh shit words whiskey <laughs> pod words whiskey pod i'll fix that in the edit <laughs> i am fine we're doing okay yep with with that said though we we do we we think we do great work we want to hear your thoughts send us we an email okay at words and whiskey podcast at gmail.com like it's it's a great Great time. Reach out to us via our website or Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Recently, a couple of people have been following along in my reads of new book series that we're considering for the podcast. So tell me your feelings. You know, I've been reading Jade City and Jade War and love to hear more. Um, but with that, next week, we'll uh, we'll see you with Howler Pod. 